walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, in this art he is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paid more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving it back. Yeah. Ooh, what's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Apron Bump Podcast. It's your boy, the hardest part of the ring. Better known in some circles as Kyle Bird. And, uh, man, oh, man, hope everybody had a, uh, a lovely Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I hope you didn't eat too much turkey, huh? <laughs> oh, I know I did. <laughs> God fucking damn it. I'm back in the office now. I have to deal with this shit. <laughs> oh, man. How's your weekend? Uh, not long enough. Oh, God. Bill, you're a card. Eat my ass, Bill. Anyways, I don't actually work with a Bill, but if I did, fuck him. You can eat my ass. Um, what are we talking about here? Ring of Honor. <laughs> Ring of Honor. Final battle. 2002. The uh, kind of there's WrestleMania, right? Final battle still exists today. Uh, well, actually... <laughs> I guess not, huh? Because uh, you know, as of recording this, uh, we're kind of fresh, fresh-ish, off the heels off of a, uh, off of Ring of Honor announcing that they're closing their doors, at least for the time being. Uh, you know, hear rumors that they might return in April. Rumors that they they're just done altogether. Who I don't think anybody really knows at this point, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've been up here since that happened. But yeah, really sad to hear. Um, I, ca- I can't say to myself that I've really followed Ring of Honor in the past couple of years, at least. Uh, at least on a consistent basis. But uh, I mean, look, man, I'm here doing a podcast, literally chronicling the entire history of Ring of Honor, starting from the beginning. So I obviously am a big, big ROH guy and uh, hope they rebound from this. Hopefully they... Uh, Hopefully it's just a rebrand. Hopefully they uh, maybe are a little refresh, a uh, an off season, some may say, and uh, hopefully they come back and come back strong because uh, the wrestling business has uh, lots of talent and uh, lots of talent that's just too good to just be uh, free agents. So uh, hope the best for Ring of Honor. But with that being said, there's no better time than now to uh, revisit the history of Ring of Honor. Um, and if you're maybe just jumping in on this, maybe you're a first time listener. Maybe this is a, uh, maybe this is the first time you're listening to one of my Ring of Honor episodes. Trust me, it's, it's worth, 
it's worth the journey. It's it's been a journey for sure. Um, and if you want to go on that journey, you can head over to apronbump.com and go to the episodes tab, select ROH, and that'll bring you to all of my Ring of Honor episodes that I've covered thus far from the very beginning in February of 02 to now, to the last show of 2002. And um, obviously you could find that wherever you listen to podcasts as well. You could probably just search for Ring of Honor, uh, maybe just yell ROH at your phone and then it'll pop up. I think that's how technology works. But um, yeah, like I said, this is the last show of 2002. And with it being Final Battle, obviously it's already a monumental show in, in itself. But to even add on top of that, to double down on the red hot fire that is this show, got the perfect guest to wrap up the year of 2002 with none other than Steve Monster Mac. That's right. One half of the hit squad joins me on this episode, and it is a ride. It's a bit of a longer one, but it is. Trust me, it's awesome. I mean, the insight that this guy had, I mean, he's, he was there. He was right in the thick of it. In fact, Mac, my guest today, is the first face you ever saw in Ring of Honor. You might remember, that's how the show opened. That very first show, you had the hit squad standing outside the building, hyping everybody up. Yeah, you ready for some Ring of Honor? And at the time, nobody knew what Ring of Honor was, or they weren't that excited maybe at the time, but they were just excited for wrestling. And then you had the Hit Squad come out to open the show, just obliterates Christopher Street Connection. And uh, yeah, they set the tone, and they were off to the races for the the, the entire company. So uh, yeah, Monster Mac is uh, the perfect guest to kind of uh, review this show and review just Ring of Honor. In general, a lot of this episode kind of covers the year as a whole. Honestly, we do cover the show, obviously, but go on little tangents here. Yes, Mac has tons, tons of great stories and provides a lot of great background and context to a lot of the guys that we see on the show and that we've seen on previous shows and that we'll see going forward. So that context and that added layer of knowledge is uh, is really interesting to hear, really entertaining but it's also going to make, you know, going forward that much better as well. And just great insight on wrestling in general. We touch a little bit on the current product as well. Uh, we touch a little bit on Ring of Honor in general, the indie scene in general. But we also touch on topics like the breakup of the Hit Squad, which I, I mean, obviously they don't team today. So I figured, yeah, eventually they broke up. But in my head... As somebody that wasn't really watching during this era of ROH, I thought they were a team for years. I thought I thought they were a stable team in the in the formative years of Ring of Honor, but apparently it doesn't last that long. Um, only I think a few more months, maybe a little bit longer than that. But it's really really crazy to hear how that happened, how that all all unfolded, and um, it was really surprising to me. So it was really cool to, to get that insight from Mac here. My previous episode, Night of the Butcher, you guys remember that that crazy match that Butcher and Homicide had against uh, Logan DeVito? My last episode, which by the way, if you haven't checked that out, Night of the Butcher, I had H.C. Loke on that episode, and he was in the main event facing Abdullah the Butcher, and that was just insanity upon insanity. And uh, the Hit Squad actually played a part in that match as well, so we got Max thoughts 
on that uh, insanity as well, because uh, and I thought I couldn't get crazier than what Loke told me, but Mac adds just another layer to it. But I, I'm journeying on too long. Excited to have Mac on here. You could follow him on Twitter at Steve Mac DHS and uh, follow Titan Wrestling as well. He's a big part of that. Go check that out. All the info in the description below. And let's get to it. Ring of Honor Final Battle 2002 with myself and Steve Monster Mac. But yeah, man, talking about some Ring of Honor, old school Ring of Honor. So you, it's interesting. I believe you and Moff were like the first faces shown in Ring of Honor ever. Um, so you opened the first mm-hmm. show. You had like a segment where you were hyping up the fans and like, fuck this WWE star, whatever you guys said. Um, and then you had like the first, yeah. I guess I don't, I don't even think it was technically a match, but you kind of. It was a match. The referee <laughs> counted three. There was a bell that ran after you the said- three counts. So it was a match. I know a lot of people like to say red, uh, red and um, I believe it was Jay Briscoe wrestled uh-huh. the first match. They were the first advertised mm. match. You sound, you, you sound like you've yelled that at a lot of people <laughs> over the years. Uh, no, I'm not yelled it, but definitely had yeah, to remind yeah. a few people, you know, because Ring of Honor actually tried to eliminate it from really? the collection. And people actually, I didn't say anything or Moff didn't say anything. And, you know, people actually were like, no, this is part of the history of Ring of Honor. And then last year after the whole uh, speaking out Me Too movement, you know, it became, oh, those guys, that's embarrassing. How could they? At the time, that's what yeah. was accepted. Right or wrong or indifferent, that's what was cool. And if you watch, I don't think anybody in that crowd was upset that we were we started off the way that we did, you know, with the Christmas Street Connection. Yet. So, you know, it, it's, it's a different time now, yes. But you can't go back 20 years ago and be like, oh, that was horrible because it was accepted. Yeah. It wasn't horrible. You know, we didn't, we didn't like, you know, uh kill anybody or you know hang anybody we we were mm-hmm. playing our parts on a show and setting the stage for what would be the next few years yeah and that was yeah like you said it's the context of the time i mean i'm watching uh you mm-hmm. know wwe stuff from 2002 and you had the same kind of deal with billy and chuck like almost the exact same and everybody yep. well billy and chuck happened because of christopher street yeah christopher street started and, and this is the thing. I've talked to a few guys. I'm not going to name drop any guys, but there's a couple of high profile LGBTQ plus uh, wrestlers who have said they hate the Christopher Street because they weren't really gay. Well, you know what? If it wasn't for the Christopher Street doing their gimmick, a lot of the gay people that are out there now probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be getting booked or it'd be a lot harder for them to get booked. And I say that not because I'm angry or hate anybody, because I have a lot of gay friends, a lot of lesbian friends. I love my gays and my lesbians. And, you know, we always have a great time when we hang out. So, you know, and they know that I'm open. I grew up around a whole bunch of gays and lesbians mm-hmm. in my lifetime. And it's never been something like, oh, that's disgusting. No, that's you want to love a man you, and you're a man. You want to love a woman. You're right. Woman. That's on you. I don't care. You know what I mean? And like they openly sit there. Oh, screw the Christopher Street. They're garbage. No, Christopher Street was able to let promoters open their minds to the idea of, all right, gay isn't the worst thing right. in the world, you know, and they don't get enough credit for doing the stuff that they did. And I think it's just because people are upset that they were doing the, the gay gimmick and, you know, they were straight guys, right. you know, but they invested into their character. They put all into their character, something that a lot of people who complain don't do. Mm-hmm. They just expect to get off on being 
whatever their sexual preference is, and that's what's going to get a book. But there's no character. You ask them, what's the story? What's the reason why you are the way that you are? It's just how I am. All right. Well, then what did can't you do much with that? Yeah. These guys invested heavily into it and they were good wrestlers. We used to have a bunch of good match. Mace I'd known since like the fifth, sixth grade, mm-hmm. you know, and Buffy, I met like the second day I ever wrestled, really? you know, and we go way back. You know, we have a lot of history and, you know, I, I've always felt like they get the unfair side of the stick because they really, they were awesome. They went to Japan. They had a huge following in Japan, yeah. you know, and, it was just, it was awesome. But, you know, like I said, different time now. And I understand that I'm not, you know, inconsiderate of mm. it. But at the same time, don't sit there and take away what we did because it was something that we did. And at the time, we made a lot of noise. Yeah, the people, like you said, the crowd loved it when it was happening. I mean, they were they're mm-hmm. all in it with you. I mean, and like you said, the Christopher Street mm-hmm. connection. Yeah, you could look back at it now with 2021 lenses and be like, ah, that's a bit harsh. That's a bit kind of... You know, mm-hmm. you're kind of taking a mallet over my head with, oh, yeah, they're gay, they're gay, they're gay. But it's like, like you said, it, it opened mm-hmm. that door and it's kind of progressed. It's taken a long mm-hmm. time to progress where we are now to where gay people just yeah. exist in wrestling. It doesn't have to be a gimmick. You know, they don't have to walk around with bananas and kiss their opponents. They're just that, that's just how, mm-hmm. how they are. And I think it's great that that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they do have a match later in the show, which we'll get into. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so final battle 2002. Did you uh, get time to watch it? Uh, so I watched a little bit of it. I clipped through some of the stuff. Um, it's just, uh, honestly, I am sometimes I don't like going back to my Ring of Honor days only because of how things ended. But this, I had no problem watching my match right. because um, it was the first time me and Moff had ever got in there with the uh, Backseat mm-hmm. Boys. And that was something that we always wanted. We actually wanted to do it in JP and then do it one time in CZW and then another time like in New York. You know, so that way it could be like home versus home versus neutral. But uh, it just never worked out that way. And Gabe was able to give us that Christmas present of, you know, the backseats in Philly. And uh, if you could tell, me and Moff, we're super hyped up. You know, and uh, it it just, like I said, when Gabe told us, it was like Christmas. Our eyes literally, yes, finally. And we just came back from Japan when he told us. So it was kind of (laughs) like, yes, you know. Little did I know the hit, the hit squad was gonna be right. <laughs> yeah, because you guys had a promo at some point in the show, and you seemed like re- you, could, you could tell mm-hmm. you were very excited to face those guys just by the way you guys mm-hmm. were speaking. Yes. Um, but I guess yeah. like I guess before we get into the show itself, just talking about Ring of Honor as a whole, because you were there for like what two or three years. I was there basically a year and a okay. half. Uh, my last show was I believe April of two thousand three, um, and. Uh, I was originally I was suspended uh, for getting into Gabe's face. Really? Uh, I, I don't really go into detail with a lot, you know, but uh, I had disagreed with something that Gabe uh-huh. said, and I didn't think breaking up the hit squad was the right thing to do at that time. But, you know, um, between him and Moff and whoever else was orchestrating that, uh, they made it happen. And I was the one that got ostracized because I was the one that was fighting against what the plan right. was. So, you know, um, but after that, you know, it was just, I I was suspended. And then all of a sudden my, I showed up for the third show, which is the first show at the Rexplex. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm supposed to be working. Then I got my stuff. Oh, well you're fired. Wow. I was like, I wasn't fired. I was suspended. And they're like, no, 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 we fired you. And I'm not saying it was Rob. It was definitely Uh Gabe. 
who's had that. And over the years, Gabe and I have reconciled and we've mended fences and we're, we're cool with each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but at the time I wanted to punch Gabe. Really? That, yeah. I had, <laughs> had no idea, idea about that, that you guys were, uh, so they had basically the idea was to break you guys up. And is that kind of the source of the mm-hmm. hostility, I guess, from, from the, from the root of it all? Yeah. I mean, um, Moff had started cause I had gotten, I broke my foot, uh, that January when we wrestled in, uh, Pittsburgh against carnage crew in the, um, we had that like crazy uh, mm-hmm. brawl in Pittsburgh. And I went to go do a splash off the top of the ladder. And as I came down, my foot hit the bottom rung of one of, you know, one of the steps and I fractured my foot. I still wrestled for like two weeks, three weeks after, but you know, it definitely hindered me and I gained weight because I couldn't run. I couldn't Mm -hmm. do anything. Um, And during that time that I was off, I ended up taking off like a month and a half, not even Um, Moff, you know, he was, Moff is a great wrestler. So he was on fire and everybody was getting in his ear. Oh, this is your time to shine. And, you know, and I think he believed the hype that he was better than the hit squad. And you know, I'm not taking anything away from Moff. I just you know, yeah, want to yeah. make that clear. But I, at the time, that's what was going on, you know. Um, and he started to, okay, this is what we're going to do then. I'm going to, you know, make be a superstar. And, like, when that happened, that opened up the door for Gabe. But, again, you could tell that it wasn't a long, well-thought-out plan because, what three months after his squad broke up, Moff is in another tag right. team again. So realistically, you could have left the the hit squad together. We could have done what the Briscoes have done, you know, singles match right. here, singles match there. Let if Moff you want Moff to be your heavyweight champ, let him have a run. We could still be teams, have each other. But the way they went about it, kind of, eh, you know. Um, and I felt like nobody really had my back at the time when mm-hmm. it happened. So you know, because everybody's worried about their spot because Ring of Honor is starting to blow up. So they really couldn't stick their necks out. And I, don't, I understand. I don't blame anybody. Right. You know, when the time came, they tried to get me back in, do a couple of things here and there. I was always homicide stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I did things. I remember one time I saved Jack Evans' life. Really? Uh, in Manhattan. Jack Evans went to go do one of his crazy springboard moves. And, you know, I was the only one to catch him. And I caught him like a baseball. Like, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I dove yeah, and yeah. caught him and saved his life. And he was thanking me for the rest of his life every time I would see right. him, you know? But um, it just, you know, it, it wasn't something that I would always try to, like, oh, what, you think there's a way I could get back? But then as the company started to grow and grow, they just, they outgrew me, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and and to be honest, I felt on that level, I didn't have enough confidence in myself. So at that level, the only way I could be on that level is teaming up with Moff because we had this crazy chemistry, right. you know, and we stood out from everybody else. So, you know, I kind of was just like, uh, I, you know, mentally defeated. I kind of, yeah. And um, it suffered. The rest of my work suffered. But at the same time, it was kind of like, uh, do I even want to do this sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? So like it, it that struggle. So that's why when I say like I have a hard time watching my Ring of Honor stuff, it's because of that. Yeah. It, like I was on such a high. And then once the one year anniversary hit, um, because they had put so much into our match and it was a failure, um, it was like, oh well, we can't trust Steve anymore. So really? we're just gonna start that was, to that was like the what direction. the twenty man scramble match or whatever it was. So <laughs> and somehow that's yep. your fault that yep. that didn't pan out to be a good match. Well, Joel Maximo and myself, we 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 were the ones that got the most heat from that uh-huh. match. Um, and it was because, well, you guys are supposed to be the generals and you're supposed to be leading the way. How can you lead there's, 20 there's guys? There's no way. You know, I, I haven't done that before in my 
yeah. career, you know? So, but it was what it was. And uh, like I said, there was already, like, at that point, Gabe had started to call me less when it came to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. He would call Moff, and, you know, they would talk where I wouldn't hear anything unless it was second yeah. for Moff. So, you know, it, like I said, you could see the writing on the wall at that right. point. Yeah, that's, that's really surprising because... Basically, with my podcast, I went to the beginning and have been watching each show in chronological order. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of you guys because I, I caught on to ROH maybe 07 ish. Um, so, and going mm-hmm. back, you know, I'm watching this with fresh eyes. I'm like, man, these Hit Squad guys are beasts. They're monsters. Like, why are they not talked about more? And I guess the, your run was pretty short in the grand scheme of things. But for, from what I've seen, I mean, mm-hmm. all your matches are entertaining as hell, including the one on this show. And um, maybe I'm, Thank I you. guess, I can't blame you for maybe not looking at, ROH days maybe fondly as you should, mm-hmm. but um, for what for what you guys did there, I mean, I still, you good? I, I still there are certain things like when I look at this match, when I do the uh, Mike Awesome spot with Jay Lethal and powerbomb uh-huh. to the outside, like at the time, who else was doing that besides right. Mike Awesome? <laughs> you know what I mean? And Jay Lethal was super young, you know, so like it was kind of like, oh man, let's just do it. We got all these people here, let's do this. And Jay yeah. was down. You know, and um, so like there's certain things like that. And like I said, uh, being in there with uh, Baxi Boys and Special K, um, a lot of Special K were guys that came from Jersey All Pro that, you know, we saw them on their first day coming to try mm-hmm. out and train. And, you know, we were able to, you know, work with them and turn them into stars. And, you know, then they were in there with Joey Mercury, uh, yeah. Joey Matthews, who, I mean, no matter what, that dude is one of the greatest oh, wrestlers sure. that I've yeah. ever been in the ring with. And that's, I mean, I've been in there with a lot of guys, but easily smartest and just one of the great, I mean, he makes everybody look yeah. good in the ring. And you could see it in this match. I mean, we were just, everybody was super excited. It was just like, no. uh, you know, <laughs> Joey <I> mean? <laughs> Matthews, it's funny. He, he typically gets thrown in these scramble matches and you have like special K flipping around and just like, to hitting the apron and jumping on the piles of bodies. And then you have Joey Matthews coming mm-hmm. in and just doing a drop toe hold into a headlock. And he's like, <laughs> he's playing like that guy in the match, which is like adding that element of yep. Memphis. Yes. The, the Jerry Lawler, little fist drops. I'll throw in there. He used to say it all the time. Memphis, uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. He, the, I always, that was a team that we missed the ball on. We should have wrestled Matthews in New York several times. And, the one time that I know we were definitely booked to wrestle against them, uh, the one had car trouble and we ended up just working. I believe Joy Matthews had car trouble. We just ended up working right. with Christian York. And uh, it just, I mean, you know, stuff like that would happen. You know, everybody's coming from your neck yeah. of the woods and, you know, North uh, New York. And it just, things just happen that way, you know. And uh, But yeah, I always loved watching uh, Matthews and York team up. And then, like I said, with Special K, because he added that element of veteran mm-hmm. leadership. You know, these guys were all looked at as a bunch of spot monkeys, but at the same time, they could work. Dixie, I talked to Dixie every once in a while. I just talked mm-hmm. to him last week, um, and he's like, oh, man, you got me wanting to come back. I'm like, you need to be here. You should <laughs> yeah. have left. You're a smart guy. You're a great wrestler. You know how to talk, you know, and he just he hated the politics of it, which yeah. a lot of people do, you know, and it gets very discouraging and um you know, I, I definitely understand where he came from with that. But, you know, I always felt like Dixie, St. Dragon, Derange, who's just making a comeback oh, really? now. You know, those guys were all special. Yeah, Derange worked for um, uh, Game Changer Wrestling, uh, the Homicide and um, Minoru oh, Suzuki awesome. show. 
and now he's uh, making a full return in Texas. So I wish him a lot of luck. He's someone that I always like yeah, being in the ring with. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and speaking of Special K, it uh, it blew mm-hmm. my mind that Jay Lethal was a part of that. I, I had no idea. I had no idea it was a part of Ring of Honor uh, so early. It was I I, I catch him. I what they call him mm-hmm. Hydro. Is that his name in Special K? It's like wait, yeah. Is that fucking Jay Lethal? Yeah, it is. It's like, man, everybody is there. It's like Ring of Honor. We're still in 02 and we're already seeing so many familiar faces. They wanted to make sure they had a collection of all the best, you know, current and best future stars when they right. assembled their roster. And JAP was where they got a lot of their talent from. I mean, if you look, 2002 Jersey All Pro suffered because Ring mm-hmm. of Honor opened up. Um, and it took them about a year and a half to recover because every star that you know ring of honor had they saw working bayonne and you know they saw working in south jersey on the shore with jersey all pro robin doug were videotaping everything gay would come they'd see a lot of the guys and then they had the guys like me and homicide moff giving mm-hmm. recommendations so like if you notice all those guys that we all worked with them early on in their career at jp or jcw or you know usa pro because that was another place that they right. filmed a lot of and um they just they were smart with how who they got yeah they yeah whether it's domestic or pulling people from japan from britain like i think that's what made roh mm-hmm. so cool especially early on because you weren't really seeing mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of american stuff that was accessible that where you can see all these people in one place from all over the world so um mm-hmm. and you can see yeah you definitely. could definitely see that in the early days but uh speaking of stars the opening match we have cm punk versus colt cabana some uh, so two AEW stars here in this opening match. Best in the Midwest. I mean, these guys wrestled got to be thousands of times at this point. So I remember I remember when it happened live. We were yeah. watching a little bit of it. And uh, when uh, Jersey All Pro had did the uh, memorial for September 11th, um, Punk and Cabana had driven to New Jersey to be on the show. And, uh, you know, that was the first time I met them. I heard of Mm -hmm. Punk. I heard of Cabana. Actually, I believe I met Cabana way early in my career. Uh, I wrestled low-key in Michigan uh, for this company Mm -hmm. called Wolverine Pro. And uh, we wrestled out there a couple of times for that company. A cult was on one of the shows, if I'm not mistaken. And that's where we met the first time. But I really don't remember as much. Uh, I was just like, oh, my God, I'm I'm out of New York wrestling (laughs) somewhere. You know what I mean? That isn't New York. But, um you know, uh, we met and Punk had came up to us. He was like, man, I want to wrestle the hit squad because I've seen you guys a bunch of times. I came here because of you guys and Homicide and Key. And this is before Ring of Honor started, you know, so he was already looking to wrestle us and do stuff with us. So um, I just remember that what you saw on camera as far as like the two of them being right. husband and wife yeah. <laughs> on the road. That's how it really was. That was legit. Like that wasn't like them being, you know, actors. They really yeah. were like that. And uh it was it was it's funny to watch them, but I mean I can remember those two guys being in the ring before the show working out and you know, just because what we used to do, um, like it would be homicide, boogaloo, uh low-key, myself, um, and a couple like other guys who have some sort of wrestling background. I didn't have any wrestling background. That's mm-hmm. why I was in there. I wanted to learn. Um, before shows, we used to grapple in the ring. And in New York, when we had the Elks Lodge, the original Elks Lodge in Queens, um, we told them, open the doors, let them in. They, they, they're they going to know who's legit when mm-hmm. they see us grappling. 
And as the people were coming into the building, they would see us. And that's why they respected us so much, you know, and they were able to see that right. we loved this stuff. We didn't just play wrestle. We were wrestlers. And they saw who the guys were that were in there with us during those, you know, little warm up sessions or whatever you want to call it. And Punk and Cabana, you know, they joined us. And that was like, it was cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we got, now we got the Midwest coming in with the East coast and it's like, this is dope, yeah. you know? And then we had Joe with us as well. Cause you know, we were all boys with Joe and Joe came and joined, you know, that little grappling group. And like, it, it, it was really cool. And it didn't last long in ring of honor yeah. because then, you know, people started to, you know, uh, just protect themselves mm-hmm. because you could easily get hurt doing that, whatever. But, um, you know, it, it was cool for a while that we were all doing that. But yeah, I definitely, I remember these guys uh, popping the crowd with some of the combos that they were doing because uh-huh. you could hear, I mean, when you're downstairs, you hear like the floor going nuts. Uh-huh. And I remember towards the end of the match, they hit something. I don't remember what it was exactly, but I remember that the crowd went nuts for whatever it was that they uh-huh. hit. And it was just like, oh, damn. Yeah, there was one <laughs> point where CM Punk hit like a belly to belly off the top rope onto Colt. That might have been what it mm-hmm. was. But um yeah, I think it yeah, was that. it's funny you bring up how they're like husband and wife on the road. So there was actually a segment uh I think it opened the show actually where they're basically driving cuz they're driving mm-hmm. from Chicago to Philly here. And uh, by the way, the stakes of this match are the winner is the winner of this match gets a contract with Ring of Honor so they don't have to drive anymore. They are flown mm-hmm. in. So I like the element of like realistic stakes that they added to it. Um, but there's like a segment where like, his Colt's kind of being the dick like, oh, man, I can't wait to I'm going to bust out all my moves. I'm going to do so many impressive stuff. And then <laughs> I'm going to be able to fly here and you got to drive. And Punk's like, man, I'm trying to we're trying I'm trying to work with you, man. Like it's just like, oh, man. But <laughs> and uh, but that chemistry they have and promos and stuff translated very well into the match because they actually had a match at the uh, the previous show, Night of the Butcher. Um, that Colt Cabana mm-hmm. won. So in this match, it was it's actually very similar in a lot of ways, but I like that story element of like mm-hmm. that they have each other scouted now. Because a lot of this match is like them yeah. countering. It's, it's almost like all counters, all mm-hmm. counters. And really the only moves that get hit are these crazy, like like that belly to belly I, I mentioned off the top rope or uh, like reverse Ranas. Mm-hmm. And then CM Punk actually ends up winning with the Pepsi Plunge, which is the this is actually the first time he hits mm-hmm. it in Ring of Honor. And... Um, I think that was what what that might have been it, yeah. Huge because the yeah, that's the first time anybody had seen that, and um, the crowd was the setup. The crowd is mm-hmm. buzzing, and then when he finally takes the step to go jump off and hit the plunge, it, they lost their minds. And um, I like I said, I remember being in the locker room downstairs, and at that point, and just hearing everybody you know stomping mm-hmm. their feet and going nuts, and we're like, yeah, because you know, as a performer, you know. I don't care what anybody says. To me, most important match is mm-hmm. the first match because that's what sets the tone. If you put me in the first match, that's probably going to be my best match because I always want to yeah. set the tone. I want to make sure that everything that follows, you know, they they follow my lead. And you know, those two, they definitely set the tone yeah. that night. You know what? Wasn't one of wasn't the first one the winner gets the hotel room or something like that and the loser? <laughs> it might have been. That sounds like a thing they would. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was. I think the first one was that because. Gabe was already playing off right. with that. And honestly, you know, you know, it was still very close to ECW. Mm-hmm. And Gabe was definitely a huge fan of Raven. Yeah. And I believe that Punk 
spoke to him the way that Raven spoke to him. So that's why they bonded so right. quick. And they have had such a great relationship. You know what right. I mean? Well, that makes sense that you know, CM Punk and Raven would go on to have like one of the best feuds in Ring of Honor history, right? Pretty soon after this. So, yep. um, but yeah, yep. Punk, Cabana, always a great match, no matter where they're wrestling. It's always going to be good stuff. Such great chemistry between those guys. Mm -hmm. um, but then uh, it cuts to a segment later in the show in the ring. Gary Michael Capetta's in the ring. He uh, introduces GMC. Christopher Daniels, who I guess has demanded time to talk. Um, and he's pissed because the last show, uh, his uh, prophecy member, Simply Luscious, got attacked by uh, Alexis Lurie, a.k.a. Mickey James. Um, so Luscious is out there with Daniels. She calls out Alexis Lurie. They challenge you. Know, a match is made. And then the match. So we have a match. Technically, it's Mickey James versus Simply Luscious. Mm -hmm. Last maybe 25 seconds. Uh, Alexis yeah. Lurie spears her right in the beginning. Uh, Luscious like starts to back off like she's running away. And then she like pulls the referee in. And then as the referee is distracted, Daniels gets in there and hits one of the most devastating last rights I've ever seen onto Mickey James. And then simply luscious just makes the pin and mm -hmm. gets the win. So yeah, women's wrestling wasn't a, you know, a big thing, I guess. I remember though, I remember when, um, the beginning of the day, when we first got there, Moff had gotten in the ring with Mickey James and she had asked for a little bit of help with how to hit the spear. Cause you know, at that point, Moff, that mm -hmm. was something he was synonymous for. And um, they were, you know, he was giving her pointers and stuff like that. And when she hit it, she came to the back and she was like, what, was that good? Was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's stuff like that, that I can remember st more stuff like that than I do the right. matches because, you know, you sit there and you're just like, man, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not scouting it. You're not like, oh, I can't wait to see what she says when she comes back. It just, you just mm -hmm. happen to be there. And that was something I was happening to go up to get, um, I forgot what I was getting. I think I had to get like a bottle of water or something. And uh, I just happened to be there when she was coming to the back and, you know, to stop to talk to Moff. And um, Moff was like, yeah. <laughs> and a uh, big smile on her face, you know, and it was always cool. And man, Christopher Daniels. I feel like he doesn't Dude, get he, enough praise. For he's how awesome so he was. there's nobody smoother um, than Christopher Daniels, especially at this point. No, yeah, not at all, not at all. Yeah, not at all. And and the crazy thing is, you know, we used to joke and call him Old Man Daniels. I know he hated it, <laughs> but you know, it was only because he was number age. You know, he was older than everybody. But you look at wrestling age. He always looked like he was in his twenties, mm -hmm. no matter how yeah. old he was. I mean, still going now, today. You know, you look at him. Some matches, he still looks like he's in yeah. his twenties. You know, and it's just like, man, he doesn't age that guy. But beyond the aging, he just, like you said, so smooth and so smart. And you know, when when we got to sit under the learning tree with mm -hmm. him, it was like this is master class right here because he just saw things that we couldn't see, and it's just from his experience, you know, and. Just uh, like like I said, he really needs to get more praise in as far as wrestling, you know, and hopefully one day they will. Yeah, because it's so interesting to think like even back in 2002, he was kind of considered a veteran and then he would go on to have 20 mm -hmm. years more of content, only get only getting better yeah. with each year. I mean, the, we're not even at TNA yet. Yeah. That's arguably his best work. And then AEW, mm -hmm. of course. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on. And it's, 
even Mickey James as well. It's so cool to see like she had what yeah. a couple seconds you know, of screen time, but she wanted to make sure every second counted. So she got input to make sure that everything that she mm-hmm. did in those few seconds looked good. Yeah, you know, it was cool. Um, last year, uh, 2009. No, the pandemic was last uh-huh. year, right? 2020 yep. March. I, this is how crazy the year right. has been for me. I don't even know what year it is anymore. Uh, but in March 2020, I was uh, an extra for the WWE um, in Brooklyn at oh, the yeah? Barclays. And you know, I'm going around doing the rounds and saying what's up to the people that I know and people that I don't know, you know, because you're just being professional. And I go into the um, catering and I see Mickey James there. So, I, you know, we were always cool. You know, she, we had, it's funny, a Ring of Honor. Um, we had a locker room and there was two locker rooms. There was a smaller locker room and there was a huge hall locker room. Huge hall was for everybody. Mm-hmm. The little locker room was for like the New York click, right? So it'd be like uh, me. Nobody wants to go in there. T-Mob, <laughs> SAT, Boogaloo, SAT. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, no. But the girls, because we were there, they knew that they were safe with us. So they had a little door, a little like shower mm-hmm. room. And it had like a, a garbage bag over the door. So the girls would get dressed in there. But they like Mickey James was, you know, she was the New York locker room cl- crew. So when I saw her, you know, I was like, oh, what's up, Mickey? How you doing? And she's like, oh, Steve, blah, 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 right? And she's like, New York locker room click. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like little things like that is always going to pop me because like, I mean, to me, and and I get yelled at all the time. I always say that I'm like nobody. I'm just somebody that got a little lucky and was able to travel and get paid to wrestle mm-hmm. and have fun, you know. But um, like whenever I see those people like that who are superstars on TV and stuff that I had time with, and they remember who I am, to me that means more than anything, you know. And it's just like it's cool that she remembers me. And and actually, she did the the women's NWA mm-hmm. show last month, I believe yep. it was, or the month before. Homicide was there and Homicide said she had asked for me. And so, you know, she was like, oh, tell Sequence and I. You know, it's like, man, that's cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's Mickey James. You know, she won at WrestleMania. She beat Trish right. Stratus. She's done all this crazy stuff. And like, she still remembers, you know, New York locker room. <laughs> I, mean, you know I, I mean, I imagine that that's a hard thing to forget is a, a locker room full of you guys, Homicide. Like, <laughs> but you know, it was always laughs in that yeah. locker room. They're like, for, for everybody who thought they were, you know, oh, we're going to get shanked. And <laughs> no, it was always a last, you know, especially like when the Carnage crew was there because Tony DeVito is like one of the biggest jokers around. And, you know, we would just, it was always fun times and telling stories and ribs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, you know, that New York locker room will always be special yeah, to me. No, I can imagine. I actually had uh, H.C. Loke on uh, the other week and he was kind of talking about that and like the camaraderie backstage and all that. So. It's cool to see like how how close everybody was, and even Mickey James still remembering you two decades later. I guess you must have made an impact. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, so after that match, uh, Steve Carino comes out with a mic. He says mm-hmm. uh, in two thousand two, because this is the end is like December twenty eighth, I think. So uh, in the year of two thousand two, he became an international superstar. These are his his words. Uh, he says he made more money than Paul Heyman owed him. And uh, he says he he's bled for these Philly fans and they gave him no respect. And he's basically uh, saying that he's going to form a group full of uh, professional wrestlers, kind of harkening back to his zero one days. And he says he's going to take all of the gold in Ring of Honor. And currently at this point, all of the gold is held by the prophecy, 
So Daniels and Donovan Morgan are the tag champions and Xavier is the world champion. So he's basically Steve Carino comes out here because Daniels is still in the ring. He's basically threatening Daniels that he's I'm going to take all your gold. And I guess kind of setting up some sort of war uh, between those two. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on the prophecy as a faction? If you have any memories at all. So I thought the prophecy was one of the better groups during my time at mm-hmm. ring of honor. Um, and it's, again, because of Daniels, uh, I mean, he didn't let them do anything that would make them right. look dumb. Um, you know, he, a perfect example, Xavier. Xavier in New York was a stud. I mean, he was a stud everywhere, but Xavier in New York mm-hmm. was a stud. In Ring of Honor under Daniels, he was a superstar, you know, and it was because Daniels was teaching him and showing him, you know, how to carry himself, how to present himself, and you know, he just, he made everybody shine that he was associated with. So, you know, uh, I always liked Alice in Danger mm-hmm. in the prophecy. And I only associate Alice in Danger as a <laughs> prophecy, no matter, even though she's been like a part of a million tag right. games, but, you know, she's, she's the prophecy, you know. And um, I, I, when they told us that they were going to go with uh, Donovan Morgan and Daniels as tag champs, I was... I'll be honest, I was upset and hurt because yeah. I felt like me and Moff should have at least been in the finals of the tag mm. tournament. You know, if we weren't going to win it, at least let them go through us. Um, but it didn't work out that way. And I guess that was kind of like the start of my downfall with the company because I had stood up to Gabe. I was like, ah, oh, this right. is dumb. You know, everybody comes to see tag. They're coming to see the tag team tournament. So why not put the two best tag teams? And I, it wasn't a shot at Daniels and Morgan because I thought yeah. they were awesome. You know, um, I, I, I always thought that they were just great together, you know, and I thought that they just fit together. Um, I think it took away from Daniel's single run a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it elevated Donovan Morgan to be someone that you trust that he's going to have a great match every time he's out there, whether it's tag right. or singles, you know. Um, and, and again, that's what I was talking about with Daniels. He elevates everybody that he's in the ring with. You know, and it's something that he just does naturally. Um, so, like, the Prophecy as a group, you know, I thought that they were awesome. I loved their mm-hmm. entrance. You know, I, I know everybody hates Marilyn Manson, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I'm all about disposable teens with, you know, Christopher Daniels coming oh, yeah. out with his head covered. No, it's you know just what badass, I mean? like, yeah. It, it just, it, oh, yeah, it's awesome, awesome. And, and to be honest, I was a little jealous that Moff got to come out to it. I was like, <laughs> oh, he should be coming out, he should be coming out yeah. to it disposable teams or Daniels, but you know, um, it, it just, I always thought that the group was pretty bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so Daniels and, uh, Carino are out there. Daniels leaves says, I'll, I'll take care of this later. Uh, so Steve Carino's still in there. He's still, you know, sh- shitting on the crowd saying he's the best, whatever homicide comes out because they have beef. Cause, uh, st- uh, homicide, uh, stabbed Carino with a fork backstage at a previous show. Uh, you know, classic wrestling, and then uh, so Steve Carino's in there, <laughs> and uh, Homicide comes right at, at him with a fork again. Uh, but Carino is wise to his ways this time, so he kind of scurries away. But that sets up uh, an angle that happens in the main event. So, um, but we'll get to that when we get to that, I guess. It's also, if you look at it, that's the seeds of the great Homicide Carino yes. rivalry that it never dies. Yeah, you know, it, it's gone on to have. You know all kinds of matches, uh, and then it included Kobe in more recent mm-hmm. years. 
Kobe and Homicide had wrestled a few times, and you know, it, it, he <laughs> at the end of the match, Homicide's telling Kobe, "Tell your father I said." Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how do you respond to that? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know, we 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 did a show at the arena one time, and you know, they didn't realize it, but they were sitting next to each other, Carino mm-hmm. and Homicide. And I happened to take a picture right before they noticed. And I told, I showed Homicide. I was like, oh, I caught you. you know, and I was like, nah, man, nah, fuck that dude. <laughs> I'm just like, ah. Oh. Yeah, that's a, a storyline I've heard over the years. And I'm, I'm excited to finally get into it. It seems like it's kind of starting here. Um, yeah. But after that, it cuts backstage. We got a little promo from the Hit Squad. DHS. <laughs> DHS. Did you, guys, did you guys enjoy doing promos? It seemed like... From, I don't know if you were able to catch this and in, in, in going back to it, but it almost seemed like like a good cop, bad cop kind of deal with you and Moff. Like you were definitely the more you, you could tell you you were the nicer guy and Moff was almost like a, a bigger homicide in, in a way. Like he was definitely had a meaner face. Is that kind of like how you guys felt when cutting promos? So in real life, uh, Moff is a sweet guy. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, but he was more of always the natural bully. Uh-huh. Um, and, 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 you know, it just growing up as a teenager in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, he played football in high school. He was a stud. He was a star. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably would have gone on to college if he didn't blow out his knee in his last game. Um, but he was like, he was Mr. Bayo in high school. You know what I mean? Like I've been around where you go around the school with him and it's like, you know, Lopez, you know, they called him by his real name. And it's just like, man, that's crazy, right. you know? Um, and like, I've always been chill. I, I try not to, you know, yell at people or judge people because to be honest, I'm nobody. You know, I'm just, I'm just Steve. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I've always been that way. And I've always tried to stay that way because, you know, ultimately you can let this get to your head, the fame that you get from wrestling. And it turns you into the total opposite of what you want it to be. And I was always afraid of that. I never wanted to be, you know, a smug jerk who, you know, thought his shit didn't stink, you know, but at the same time, when it came to wrestling, um, I always enjoyed being the technical star while Moff was the charismatic star. You know, uh, if you notice, if we ever did a hot tag, usually it was Moff getting tagged in because at that point he was, super mm-hmm. hot you know he, he knew how to put it turn on the facials turn on the gas when he needed to and uh i would get us to that point you know and um it just that was our chemistry all the time and when it came to our promos it was the same thing you know i would uh give the details mm-hmm. and he would hit the explosive points right. you know and it was believable because we were talking like us just turned yeah. up you know it wasn't it wasn't a gimmick i mean you know the I'm not a, a thug. For, I mean, I grew up around Bed Stuy. I, you know, I was I lived in Brooklyn. I didn't live in Bed Stuy, but you know, I spent every other week there because my grandfather lived mm-hmm. in that area. And if I wasn't there, I was by Coney Island houses uh, over in Coney Island because my cousin lived there. So, like, you know, I some of the roughest neighborhoods I spent a lot of time in. So I kind of get it. You know what I mean? I know how to act and whatever. And it just was like, it yeah. Fit. And you know, it, it was. It, it's funny because we had that second run around 2015, 16 for beyond wrestling. And we didn't have to do much talking. People were just happy to see yeah. us come out and we still love talking. We always love talking, but people were happy to see us just 
you know, get into these matches where we beat the crap mm-hmm. out of everybody and we had a great fight. That's really what it came down to, you know, and but the early days we had to set the tone with how we talked and how we looked and how right. we walked because, you know, there were times where uh, I believe it was the October show. We wrestled Carnage Crew for the yeah. first time and Carnage Crew came out first. And we, like I said, we shared the locker room with them. They knew us. We, you know, had dinners together after shows and stuff. And it's the first time we're getting in the ring with them. And the music hits. And uh, I never forget, Loke t- said he turned to DeVito as the music was hitting. And we hadn't even come to the curtain yet. And he goes, what's going on right now? Is this is this going to be a shoot? Are we going to are, are we gonna get into a real fight right now? And DeVito's like, I don't know. <laughs> and like, it was like, they were, they were, they forgot, you know, they caught into, they bought into the mystique and they were just like, I don't know what's happening. Like, we're just going to have to fight and if we have to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we get in the ring, we work and they're like, oh, that was so yeah, yeah. easy. Like, yeah, because it's all magic. It's all the presentation of legit right. badasses. And that's something that from Bayonne until, you know, our last shows, you know, when we die, that's always going to be the presentation. You know, these badasses who can fight brawl wrestle do whatever and talk and we love wrestling so like you know it it was cool too because uh coming back from japan uh, and it's funny i was just telling the story um we were in a mag one of japanese magazines and they called us the um new version new and improved version of the headhunters they had a whole four-page spread on us and it was like you know talking about the differences and similarities and how our stuff was, you know, if the headhunters had slimmed down just a yeah. little bit, they would have been, you know, as we would like, it would have been even. And, uh, you know, now I'm cool with the headhunters. Right. So it's even crazier to me that like, you know what I mean? Like, can't believe they were comparing us, but you know, that's really awesome that I grew up watching them and here we are, we go to Japan and they are loving us just the same. Like I love yeah. the headhunters, you know, and uh, it's something that because we were able to do this, I don't know. Me and Moff has have this connection. We could go from not talking for twenty years. You throw us in a match together where we're teaming up, and it's as if nothing happened. There's oh yeah, no time passed. I, I just don't. I can't explain it. We just have that. We'll always have that, you know. And um, right now he's doing his thing um, with uh, Wrestle Pro and stuff like that, and Northeast Wrestling. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I'm doing mine for Titan Championship Wrestling. But you know, every once in a while we'll check in on each other. And like we'll tell a joke or two because that was the one thing we always shared yeah. was good laughs. You know, we could be in the middle of the match, and you know, <laughs> we just tell like the stupidest nonsense. Like, bro, you got a boogie in your nose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean, like just the dumbest nonsense. Yeah. You know, and uh, just but that's something that we'll always share. No, matter oh, yeah, what. no, that's awesome. I was actually going to ask if you guys still keep in touch. That's because you never know with how wrestling yeah, yeah. is and people, you know, kind of drift apart, but. I mean, we didn't for a while. Right. For a while, we didn't. We lost touch, you know. But no heat or anything between them. Now, no, no, no heat now. Now yeah, we're yeah. cool, you know. Um, and, and to be honest, it was just he had made a stupid choice and, you know, everybody had to cut ties. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, all right, well, you go now. And then when he did his sentence, he came back and, you know, I was one of the guys that helped to get him back. In, right. Whether that's a good or bad. <laughs> thing, I don't know, but it seems like it's worked out no, so far. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's he's you know, but in all honesty, 
there have been times I've needed him mm-hmm. and he's needed me and we've had each other's back. And, you know, then like every friendship, you know, you get, you go through your tests where you hate each other for mm-hmm. a few weeks and, oh, you're right. Yeah, I'm all right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like that. Yeah. We all have so, those people in our lives. Yeah. Now it's more, you know, we check in on each other. You're good. What's going on? How's everybody? All right. Good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, no, yeah, you guys, I mean, it's, it's it was never a question if you guys had chemistry or not, because it's just me watching it. It's clear that you guys have great chemistry, and it, was, uh, it worked out well for you guys. It's funny because if you watch the early tapes, because some of the hard cams were like 40 feet uh-huh. away from the ring, you know, without a great zoom, you really can't tell who's who. <laughs> and like my mom, for the longest time, would always say, oh, there you are. Meanwhile, it's wrestling because he didn't have tattoos in the beginning, yeah, yeah. you know. So we look very similar. I'm, I'm so <laughs> glad you say that because I felt bad because like some at some points I'm watching your matches. I can't tell this match in particular actually went back and like tried to like, oh, OK, what's different between them? And I think Moth has elbow pads and you don't. So that if I, if I ever mm-hmm. had a question in this match, yep. that was the one. Yep. But we're here in this card. Uh, this is your time to shine. We got a scramble match three way. So we got DHS versus the Backseat Boys versus special k uh man these scramble matches they're uh i mean this i guess probably isn't you, you go back to the one year anniversary show where there's 50 people in the ring you know six people in the ring might not seem so bad in hindsight but uh yeah what goes into like because i feel like these scramble matches correct me if i'm wrong this is just kind of the opportunity for everybody involved to kind of do their fancy moves to, to pop the crowd with their innovation psychology might at some point, mm-hmm. you know, maybe take, get put on the back burner and stuff. This is kind of the time for, I think Loke put it is, is fireworks. It was a fireworks show. So is, is that kind of like the mentality that went into like kind of putting these matches together? Yeah. I mean, you tried to tell a story by who you paired up with. So normally, you know, like Moff would be married to Dixie and I'd be married to, you know, Trent and one of the back seats would be married to the other uh, special K member. And like, it was like, you tried to tell, so like, let's say in the first sequence, cause everybody had like three or four sequences, mm-hmm. you tried to tell a story of whoever was the better of the two in the first sequence, the next one, the one who got the, took the most heat ends up getting the most heat on, right. you know, the next, you know, that, and then like towards the end you know you tried to finish you oh you hit me with your secondary finish now at the end i'm gonna hit you with my primary finish try to finish you and then somebody will break it up or whatever it is and then you try to incorporate tag team mm-hmm. stuff I, I think i believe we did that in this one a yeah. little bit where it was singles singles and then you know we did dives and then uh we had the one big spot with lethal mm-hmm. and then we broke it down a little bit more singles and then it was all tag 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 right tag. And, you know, um, the psychology at the end, uh, Special K cheated to win. And that was like the only time that they did it. And that's when it helped the most. You know what I mean? So the smallest guys ended up getting the biggest win because they were able to be smart about it. You know, and it just that's the only real psychology that you can really apply. But now, like, so this is 20 years later obviously the scramble match has evolved into something else, you know, and there is more psychology if they mm-hmm. apply it. A lot of them don't because they don't understand how to apply psychology the proper way to a match like this. But I mean, if you look back then, like, like I said before about Matthews, when Matthews gets in, you see the Memphis psychology mm-hmm. rolling. When me and Moff get in, you see the strong style psychology rolling. 
you know, when Dixie and, and Derange get in or Trent and Johnny, you see more of the tag team, but lightweight tag team spots yeah. come in. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a mesh of styles when it's, when it's three or so sick, you know, uh, two on two on two, it's easy. But when it's four, then it's like, Oh, all right. Now we have to get all of this put in within 10 to 15 yeah. minutes, which I mean, the opening spot alone can be two minutes, you know, and now you're down to 13. How are you going to get to your finish, you know, and make it look good. And it just, it was a test, but, because we were in there with the SAT, uh, you know, for most of those scramble matches, their psychology worked great for those, you know, and, and people will call them spot monkeys or whatever, but they could sure. wrestle. So I never saw them as spot monkeys. It's just they understood what they had to do. Like you said, it was the r- fireworks going off because you had your meat and potatoes with the wrestling in the main mm-hmm. event, you know, but early on to keep the crowd hot and hype. You know, you put on a scramble match so they could see a crazy mm-hmm. spot. I mean, Paul London was the firework for a little while because Paul London became please don't die because he was always doing something to top mm-hmm. the last show, you know, and it, you have to place these things yes. properly. You know, if you know that there's a potential for a match that could be, you know, a dud match for the crowd because they want to see violence or they want to see, you know, fast paced wrestling, you know, you put that on so that way, you know, crowd could get a little bit of a break so they have more energy later on and it's not to say that mm-hmm. the wrestlers suck it's just you know that certain matches are going to slow the things yeah. down a little bit so you let them do their style if the crowd gets over if it gets over with the crowd that's great but if it doesn't it's okay because you weren't really planning on being so hot because the next match you want the crowd to be there for that you know and the the scramble definitely had its place in early ring of honor if you saw i mean wwe adopted it yeah. tna adopted it you know, a lot of other companies that came through, they adopted that style of match where, I mean, really, we were just taken from the Lucha Libre style because there was no tags, quick pace, everybody in and out, in and out. And, you know, you just tried to have the best combination of moves without it dying. You know, that was the whole thing of the scramble match. There couldn't be any mm-hmm. dead time. And if you did have dead time, then, well, yeah, Yeah, (laughs) because, yeah, to your point, the match before this was Alexis Lurie versus Simply Luscious, which, you know, no disrespect to them, but that's not going to get the crowd, you know, on. it's not going to set them on fire. And then you had a a Steve Carino promo Mm -hmm. and then you have this scramble match. So the way it was structured in the show made sense. And after this is kind of a more methodical, traditional uh, tag team match. So I I think it made sense Mm -hmm. in the context of the show and where it was. But uh, yeah. And then it also it also feeds your future because, like you said, there was a tag team match in more yeah. traditional. You see all this crazy stuff. This Ring of Honor fan base, they're they love wrestling. These guys are all the tra- tape traders and guys who would you know follow every you know everything from Smoky Mountain to ECW to Japan to Mexico, Puerto Rico. They were following, so they knew all the different styles. So they were happy seeing the scramble, but then they appreciated when you saw two great tag teams work a great tag team style yeah. match. You know, they were there for that just as much as anything else, you know? And then they also, you know, you got to remember with Alexis and um, Luscious and then Carino and uh, Daniels, that was just advancing mm. their storyline for the next show. And later on, you know, whatever happened right. later on, but it was just advanced storyline advancement. So you really, you know, you're taking a segment really is what it is. You're taking a segment and you're using it to advance whatever storyline you want to tell 
you don't have to have a, always have a match. You know, if you got great talkers, then you can put in those talkers and it'll fit. And like I said, it it was a great wave the way Gabe had booked things um, because he always thought of that. He was like, how can I? But I mean, he learned from Paul uh-huh. Heyman. Paul Heyman always did stuff like that. He knew what his strengths and weaknesses are, and he always geared the crowd towards that, you know. Um, but the one thing that I say, and a lot of people forget, especially in today's wrestling, the wrestlers are the ones in control of what the fans see. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the booker tells you what you're going to do, but the fans all nowadays think that they're the ones that are controlling everything. That's not mm-hmm. the case. The wrestlers and the promoters are the ones that tell the fans, this is what you're going to see. Yeah. This is the show that I'm going to present to you. And it always gets mixed up because the wrestlers want to cater to the fans now. Back then, you had guys who wanted the fans to see what they wanted them to see. It wasn't the other way around. And it wasn't until, you know, maybe the mid-2000s, give or take, that the fans started to dictate. And just, I guess, with the invention of social media and advancement of social media, it became more, you know, commonplace for the fans to dictate what was going to happen. And, you know, then you had wrestlers who were talking more like the fans rather than being wrestlers. And it was like, oh, well, you know, let's just, let's not worry about what the fans see. We'll give them what they want, you know, instead of telling the story that you want to narrate. And Gabe was good at that. Gabe's always been good at getting people to follow his Mm -hmm. story, you know, and not ask that, not ask of Gabe because they knew that Gabe was going to deliver on his side with whatever tools he had to work with. Yeah, I think the best representation of that is uh, Xavier in his title reign and in his match uh, later in the show. He actually kind of uh, references the Internet in his little promo before his match. But um, I think it's like one of the last matches of the show. But yeah, that scramble match, man, that was, Mm -hmm. uh, as always, super entertaining. I like our little dance. Oh, man. (laughs) So this is actually the first. Um, I I believe this is the first backseat boys match I've seen. I think they've been in different segments thus far in Ring of Honor, but maybe nothing mm-hmm. of super significance. But I was super impressed by these guys, Trent Acid, Johnny Cashmere. Like some of the stuff, some of the stuff they would do, even though it's kind of simple, like looking at a surface level, it was just so good. Like there was one point where uh, Deranged, he tried to do like a leg sweep on the Trent, but Trent like jumped up vertically mm-hmm. and then hit a drop kick like out of, like it sounds like kind of simple when I like explain it like that, but the way he executed it, it looked so brutal and it was so clean and like all the double team moves they were doing were all just like effortless. And so like, again, so smooth. Yeah. I always say that the loss of Trent acid was one of the greatest losses in professional yeah. wrestling. And it was just having spent time with him in the locker room, having spent time in the ring with him, you know, I got to see the magic that he had and um, he was smart. Like again, you know, back then, the locker rooms were filled with hungry, smart talent, you know, and, you know, with, with Trent and Johnny, they were the Kings in CZW. They were Kings, you know, in Delaware and, uh, you know, Maryland and wherever else they went. And I always felt like Trent really had the potential to be a breakout TV star. Um, and they just, you know, it, John Zandig said it best to me one time. <clears throat> uh, Trent Acid had, two loves and that was uh three loves i'm sorry that was rock and roll that was music uh wrestling and it was drugs 
And unfortunately, the drugs were the one that mm -hmm. took over. You know, and it's something that I kicked myself for a long time that I couldn't help him, but I couldn't. Right. There's nothing I could do. That was something that only he could change. But he was somebody that I looked up to as far as wrestling minds and creativity because a lot of the things he did, no one had did it up to that point. No one's done right. it since. You know, there's not a lot of guys who remind you of Trent Acid, and there's a reason for it. He was so unique so talented and you know Kashmir was the perfect tag team mm. partner for him you know and um it it does that's one of the things that breaks my heart about wrestling is you know you get you get to do a lot of cool things but then I have a lot of dead guys phone numbers in my mm. phone that I don't want to take out because I don't want to erase their memory <clears throat> but at the same time it's like they're gone and all I have are these great memories and this match was definitely one of them with Trent and Johnny, because, you know, I remember when we were talking the match downstairs, everybody was in a good mood. Mm -hmm. We were all happy. You know, it was like, all right, we're going to work. This is going to be some fun, you know? And uh, I remember them being the same way and Special K being the same way. And, you know, it, it sucks because it's 20 years later and, you know, it's like, what the hell happened? Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it just, but that's just the way of life. That's something people come, people go. But I'm glad that I got a chance to, have this moment with them and other moments later yeah. on with them, you know, because it was something special. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's great that is at least the, his work here lives on with the DVDs or whatever it is. Um, Cause even mm -hmm. me, you know, watching it 20 years after the fact, instantly a fan, you know, watching his work and Johnny Cashmere's work. So um, I'm really looking forward to kind of continuing on in their ring of honor journey, watching their stuff. Um, Watch their CZW right. stuff too, because their CZW stuff was pretty legendary. Yeah. You know, especially when they wrestled like the Briscoes in the SAT. Um, they were just they were so ahead mm. of their time. Yeah, for sure. You can definitely tell that by watching this match for sure. You forget it's two thousand two when you're watching them wrestle because some of the stuff they're doing, yeah. I mean, even by today's standards, yep. it's is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, can you imagine them in NXT? Oh, dude. Can you imagine backseats and the Hit Squad in NXT? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I would love to see the Hit Squad in NXT. Can you make that happen? Can, is there anyone you can call to make that happen? Uh, got it. You got it. <laughs> hey, you got my support. If you ever if you need a petition or whatever, sign. I'm I'm there for you. <laughs> got um. I mean, yeah. Then because you have like the backseat boys and Special K. They're obviously the smaller guys. They're doing all the lucha stuff. And then in comes you and Moff just suplexing people, dropping them on their heads, sick lariats. I think you who, – whose head do you take off? I think it's Trent's head with a lariat. Yeah, I think um, so. But then he caught me with the Yakuza. That was pretty rough. So. <laughs> well, that's what Ring of Honor was, right? <laughs> it was just people people actually hitting each other, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's all it was. No, he caught me with the Yakuza. I got up and clotheslined him right after. And – uh it was funny because we were talking about, we were like, we have to kind of hit this kind of hard. And I was like, so I'm giving you my face. Just, you know, don't leave any marks on my face. Was, don't worry, cuz I got you. And uh, he said, don't kill me with the clothes. I was like, I won't, don't worry. And afterwards, we, we both went to the back. We were like, we're both alive. We didn't get each other. We're good. <laughs> hey, when you guys put yourselves over as the stiffest team in pro wrestling, you got to. You put yourself out there like, OK, people are going to be stiff against us, too. But I guess you guys probably thrived on that, yeah. if anything. Yeah, that made the match better yeah, for us. for sure. As a fan, definitely <laughs> enhanced it for sure. Um, but you brought it up earlier. The finish comes when uh, 
Dixie comes in, who's not in the match, I don't believe. He comes in with a pipe, hits Moff in the back of the leg um, as he's going for a burning hammer. Then Izzy comes off the top rope with a, a cast, the old Bob Orton finish, <laughs> uh, hits Moff in the head. Yes. And then pretty much all of Special K just rolls up Mafia for the win. So to say it's a dusty finish is putting it lightly, but I guess scramble matches, maybe there's, you know, the rules are kind of loose, I suppose. Special combined weight for Special K is 150 pounds. <laughs> Soaking wet. I believe it. But yeah, awesome. Awesome shit there, man. Uh, but after that, uh, brought this up earlier. So we have the uh, ROH tag team titles are on the line. So it's a two out of three falls match. Got the prophecy. So we got Daniels and Donovan Morgan versus SAT. Um, one note here, they find so well, I don't know if you remember this. When they crowned the first tag team champions in that first tournament, they had a trophy to represent mm-hmm. the tag team, just one trophy to represent it. Uh, finally got belts yep. here, which is yep. uh, guess moving up, moving yes. on up in the world, I guess. Ring of Honor. It, it was a huge thing. Too, yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't have, you know, like, you know, repel from the ceiling kind of deal, you know, like WWE does. But uh, trust me, in that gym, if we got anything to repel, <laughs> it'd, just be, it'd be still be there today if you put it up there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting here because SAT and we kind of talked about this earlier. They were traditionally the guys in the scramble matches. Um, probably they're generally like the highlights of the you you got you and SAT. You guys were definitely the highlights of these scramble matches, and so it's it was almost kind of weird seeing them in like a traditional tag team match, especially against like guys like Daniels and Morgan, who are so like technically like they're not spot monkeys by any means. Like they're there to kind of you know work a hold. Mm-hmm. We're gonna you know get get our heat and all that stuff. Like 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 I keep saying like traditional tag team match. So it's kind of interesting to see SAT. Mm-hmm. And that kind of environment. Do you, do you think SAT thrived more in scramble type matches rather than this? So, um, I think they were more in their natural environment in a scramble yeah. match. Again, going back to their lucha style, um, but they shine brighter when they were in there with tag teams one on or two on two that can go. Um, Again, what I said about Daniels, Daniels elevates them and they look like stars. They look like a tag team here. Yeah. The SAT. Not that they don't in scramble matches, but you know, you don't, you're not seeing them as spot monkeys in this match. Right. You're seeing them as a tag team that has tag team psychology. They have chemistry, they have charisma. And, you know, that's all because of Daniels taking him under his wing and showing them, you know, all right, we're going to break this down and we're going to do this this way for this reason and they listen they follow and you know they're great with that you know um it it just i remember talking to the sat before and i was like are you guys ready and joel maxwell was like of course i'm ready you know (laughs) and and like i was like all right well you know this you got to put your working shoes on oh you know we always got our working shoes on you know (laughs) yeah i love talking to sats honestly uh, I've had a lot of favorites, you know, over the years, but they're being in the ring with them. They always made mm-hmm. a shine and, you know, it wasn't because they were like bullied into it. They just, we work great together. And, uh, between them and EYFBO, those are my favorite two tag teams that I've ever feuded with. Um, and we, I always used to joke with, uh, Joel and Jose, uh, 
because they say that they're the first tag team that Ring of Honor signed, and we oh, say that man. we're the first tag, you know, first uh, tag team. So like we always used to joke about it. But the funny thing is, nobody had contracts. <laughs> it was all handshake, agreement, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but it it was always like we always had that New York rivalry, but we always had each other's back no matter what. And um, you know, well, earlier on, you talked about Carino talking about how he was a star. Carino was running his PWF com- um, uh, company over in, um, I forget what it's called, Pottstown, uh, Pennsylvania. And it was uh, like um, a baby sister company to uh, Zero One. Mm. It would eventually become Zero One USA, you know, uh, through a whole bunch of things. But uh, Carino made that company. But one of the first things that he did was once he knew us, he brought us in to wrestle the SAT. And we feuded with the SAT. To the point where this is where it gets crazy. Uh, the SAT were representing Puerto Rico with uh, uh, Rapid Fire and Maldonado. They were Team Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Moff and I were Team USA, and we teamed up with the Rockin' Rebel. Oh man! <laughs> now, I, I I mean, you might know Rockin' Rebel because of uh, how the last moments of his life. You know, he kind of. It was a little bit shady. Nobody really knows what happened, but they all have their yeah. thoughts or whatever. But, you know, um, Rocket Rebel was straight up Dixie. You know, uh, he was from the his gimmick was he was, you know, a white redneck. Uh-huh. You know, some people say it wasn't a gimmick, but to us, he was always cool as yeah. hell. You know, he was always a hey, squad. He wanted to make sure that we were taken care of. He was always around us, make sure that we were cool. Uh, he would drop a little knowledge, too. Um, but yeah, we would have all now, if you go to Pottstown, there isn't a Hispanic person within a hundred miles of the place. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, they were cheering for us hard. They were, you know, because we were with rebel, that was their hero. And they were cheering. They were, you know, they would give us the USA chant. Meanwhile, the SAT would be like, uh, Puerto Rico's part of the <laughs> Pottstown <laughs> people don't know that shit. <laughs> They don't know that. They don't know that. But you know, um, but like, yeah, like it, w- and that w- that was because of our chemistry with the SAT, you know. And they were a great. T- they, I mean, they're coming back supposedly in December. There's, I believe, right, they're I their own company. Yeah, and you know, I hope that they do get some TV time because I feel like you know everyone deserves to get that spotlight. But um, e- even if they don't, to me, I always thought that they were the best team on the Indies during that time. They were the the standard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were the guys that you had to show up against because, you know, they were the best and everybody was watching them. And then you have this match. Like I said, they were the guys that had to show up against Daniels and Morgan because those guys they were wrestling in NOAA. They were wrestling in New Japan and mm-hmm. uh, Osaka Pro, you know, and those were the guys that, you know, they knew how to make everybody look great. And they did with the SAT. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, SAT, I mean, pioneers to say the least, is, is for, mm-hmm. for the style that we mm-hmm. still see today. Um, and they meshed well, both with you guys, Hit Squad, and the Prophecy here. Um, so this mm-hmm. match here is two out of three falls. Um, it's probably like 13, 14 minutes in. The Prophecy hit their double-team finisher. I guess it's called the Revelation, which is like a powerbomb, neckbreaker type of move for the first fall. Mm-hmm. Um, then the SAT fight back. They hit that Spanish fly. That's, that's what people come to see. I mean, that's like what the Canadian destroyer was to Petey Williams. It's almost like mm-hmm. what the Spanish fly was with the SAT. That's like, you hit that, you're going to send the crowd home happy. Um, so that ties it up at one, one, 
Uh, match breaks down a little bit towards the end. Uh, SAT, they go for like a, a doomsday DDT, I guess I would describe it. Yeah, one guy's on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Donovan, this is mm-hmm. a sick counter here. Donovan Morgan counters it into a spine buster in midair. Um, yep. And then uh, I believe uh, Daniels hits a last rights towards the end, and that gives them the win. Uh, yeah, really, just really smooth. I guess smooth is the way to put this match. It, their chemistry was really good. You could definitely tell. And uh, like you said, it was good to see SAT get um, some shine because generally they were thrown in there with 20 other guys and, you know, they would get just a little bit of shine. But here they were because they were super over, too. I mean, the crowd loved SAT. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yep. and I'm excited that they're coming back. I hope they uh, hope they do big things. Well, uh, if it wasn't because they were making their comeback, I was always um, teasing because I, I I had no problem taking the Spanish fly. I've taken it probably about 20 times. Yeah. Um, and the last time that Joel and Jose teamed up, I was the last one to take mm-hmm. it. And the last time that Will and Joel teamed up, I was the last one to take <laughs> it. So I was like, you know, I killed the SAT. Right. You know what I mean? Like, finally got you out dead, and you're coming back. Well, you just can't. You, you know, can't get yeah. better than that. So you know, that's probably how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, it's funny because uh, one of the times that we took it in uh, Jersey All Pro, you know, I'm I'm standing up there. I'm on the top rope already, and they're climbing up, and they're all kind of nervous because you could tell. I mean, the ropes. They were, you know, they were decent ropes, but, you know, they were standing and it was moving and they were getting nervous. So I'm talking to them. I'm like, calm down, relax. I got you. You're not going anywhere. We're going to chill. When I say three, we're going to go. And I counted down. And actually, you could see me on, on tape. One, two, three. Let's go. And we go. And, like, they just needed to be calmed down because they were so, like, nervous and anxious that the rope was going to break because, you know, you still – I'm. At the time, I was 310, 315, somewhere around there. And you got the two of them that they're one's about 190, there's about 210. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a lot of weight up there. And um, you know, we would stand up there and be like, get your cameras ready. You know what I mean? And, you know, it was cool taking it at the ECW Arena because it was for the Trent Acid Memorial Show. And it got the, like, nobody was expecting it, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, just them seeing them tease. The crowd was like, oh, and then when he, when they hit it, the crowd went nuts. It was a finish, obviously, you know, and they were just going nuts for it, you know, and uh, it was cool because we were able to do that. Like I said, it was a Trent Memorial, so we were celebrating our brother, yeah. and we were in his hometown, and, you know, ECW Arena is always something special no matter what, and, um, you know, that, that definitely one of the highlights being in there with the SAT, and, you know, like I said, I hope that, you know, this comeback run, it, it puts a huge spotlight on them. You know, they're letting everybody know we're the innovators of today's style and they totally are, Yeah. you know, but at the same time, you got to remember that they're a great tag team too. You know, they didn't just do spots. They did great wrestling and matches like this were what showcased them. And uh, hopefully they get more matches like, yeah, come for sure. It's, it's crazy. I, I don't think I've ever seen the Spanish fly like botched at all. Like it always looks perfect for whatever reason. Is that generally is the way I don't know how much magic you would have spilled, but is it like the guy taking it, counting it down? Is that generally how it goes? No, they're in control. Really? You go when they go. And actually, uh, Dixie, the reason why he had the cane during the scramble match, because he broke his leg when he was taking it, I believe the show before or two shows oh, really? before. And uh, one of them had landed on his Ooh. leg. And there had been a couple of 
missteps uh, during that time. But once they perfected it, there was, you know, nobody was getting hurt. It was, it's, it's more of, it's scary again, to see all that weight standing on the top rope. That's more of what you have to overcome. Once you go, it's just like taking a superplex. You know, uh, if you like taking superplexes, Spanish fly is almost the same exact right. thing, you know, and um, it, it just, like I said, you got to have confidence because if you go in there nervous, everyone's going to slip. Yeah. And I've seen that happen, too. I've seen people fall because they're nervous. But, you know, these guys, they've been doing it for 20 plus years. So if anybody's going to do it perfect, yeah. it's going to be well, done. But now everybody's doing it. <laughs> every, every every time you turn your yeah, head, you I see know. somebody doing a Spanish fly. But, uh. But that's what's motivating them. They're seeing all their moves on TV yeah. and they're not getting half the credit, you know, or like if they do, Oh, that's the uh, amazing red or, and it's funny. Cause you even said it. The, so the first person I ever saw do the Canadian destroyer wasn't Petey Williams. It was quiet storm a year and a half before Petey really? Williams ever saw, showed it off. I'm not saying that Petey Williams wasn't doing it before he did it oh. on TV, but quiet storm had done it on i think it was a frank goodman show or i forgot what it was he was hitting it way before pd williams and he never mm. got the props for it you know and and that happened to a lot of the new york guys you know we would do a lot of things innovative and someone else would do it on tv and they'd get credit for it it kind of was like oh yeah you know and i think that's just motivating sat now to make their comeback they're seeing all these guys do their stuff and not give them the props that they deserve you know and it gets frustrating sometimes because you know this is a brotherhood yeah. but at the same time, you know, if I ever do anything that I've ever done that I've taken from someone else, I always make sure their name mm. is a part of it. You know, I like to do the one thing where, you know, if I'm in a tag match, I have the one guy give me a sunset flip. I catch the other guy, give him a Rikishi driver onto his partner while <laughs> I sit down on them. And I'll, I call it. I mean, it's, I've had the guys who stole it from me because they've asked me. There's been guys in WWE and Impact and AEW who have hit it. And I told them, I said, when you hit it, make sure you have the commentators call it the monster mm. driver. But me personally, I call it the Kishioko combo because it's part of Rikishi and part of yeah. Yokozuna, you know, and those are two of the guys that I grew up idolizing, you know, and so I wanted to make sure that they got the shout out, you know what I mean? So uh, I feel like the younger generation lost mm. some of that, you know, uh, they all think, oh, I'm going to hit the key crusher and I'm going to call it the Kiwi crusher. Kiwi, yeah, <laughs> what's, uh, what's his name? Crusher, Tra- Travis you know Banks, I like, think, because he, he's, uh, yeah. Is it? Uh, it's probably yeah, multiple people, but just, yeah, nah, yeah, no, I, I respect that though for sure. But if you ask Key, if you ask Key though, he'll tell you he didn't create the Key Crusher. He got it from a Japanese yeah. wrestler, female wrestler, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, he asked for permission to mm-hmm. use it first. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's just it's it's a respect thing, I guess. Well, hey, from now from now on, whenever I see whenever I see the Canadian Destroyer, now I'm gonna call it the Quiet Destroyer, whatever he whatever he called. <laughs> The, the quiet destroyer yeah i'm not even gonna yeah. <laughs> actually we all because we all would pop because whenever he would hit the storm cradle driver if you if you know anything about quiet storm the reason why he's called quiet storm is because he's very quiet keeps himself very low-key temperamental you know non-temperamental guy and whenever he would hit the storm cradle, cradle driver <laughs> that always pops me when i see it because it's so goofy but everybody oh, loves it awesome. it always pops the crown oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he when he he when we had a, a it was like they were doing like tv matches before the show and we wrestled him and uh, divine and he got i believe it was in mob face and he was like talking shit but like at that point you know quiet storm was quiet mm-hmm. and he was like 
he says something like fuck you bro <laughs> and everyone's like oh <laughs> i remember that yeah no that's that, that's awesome <laughs> god man uh, yeah. a lot of characters are up on her at this point <laughs> oh, yeah. oh uh, yeah speaking of characters the next match on this show so it's another tag team match Got the Christopher, sorry, the new Christopher Street connection. So they switched out Buffy for Eddie Guapo. Was Buffy like, was he injured? Was he let go? Do you remember what the story was on this? So uh, I don't know the exacts of it, but uh, he was going through some personal stuff outside of wrestling. Right. And I don't want to say what it is because I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It could have been a divorce. It could have been anything i don't really remember the exact details uh and eddie guapo uh was one of the doghouse guys he's actually like one of my best friends yeah. we made him talk pretty much every day and you know i'm sure when he sees this he's gonna pop huge that his name got brought <laughs> up. um but uh you know uh he was uh someone that he was reliable in the ring mm -hmm. you know and um he was down to do the gimmick and uh, it actually, he was going to get some more burn, but then they stopped using the Christopher Street connection yeah. after that point, you know, and um, it, it, I, I think it's hard to replace somebody like Buff because much like Moff, Buff is very much charismatic. Mm -hmm. He was the entertainer of the two. Mace was the wrestler. Uh, Mace has always been a great wrestler. Uh, like I said, he's the one that I've known since the fourth or fifth yeah. grade. And um, we always love wrestling. It would be me, him, Key. You know, and just in the schoolyard practicing wrestling. You know what I mean? Like you know, cutting each other up. But you know, just I mean, we love pro wrestling. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, it, it it was like I said, it was a last minute, and maybe been the week of or the week before. You know that they had reached out to Eddie Guapo, um, but uh, I I felt like it wasn't right for him at the time. I felt like he should have done Eddie Guapo because Eddie Guapo was actually an entertaining right. wrestler. He doesn't get a, a lot of burn in a lot of places, but like the places that he did get burned, you know, he always had the crowd hating on him. Uh, he was uh, the Samoans uh, WXW uh, champion for oh, really? a while. And I can remember being there and listening to the crowd wanting him to die. And at the same time, they wanted him, they cheered him, you know, when he was a babyface, they cheered him hard. You know, so like he knew how to entertain. He was very old school yeah. style wrestler, um, smart, charismatic, you know, funny guy. But I, I never saw the mix for him as a Christopher Street Connection member. Maybe if they did it more, you know, I would have gotten mm. used to it. But it was always about Buffy yeah. and Mace, you know, and um, it was what it was. You know, it's just it, it's unfortunate that after that, it really it was downward spot, you know, downward slide for. Christopher yeah, because the Christopher Street connection, Buffy and Mace, I mean, they were hated at first because they were kind of there, I guess, to be the uh, the sports, the sports mm -hmm. entertaining team, I guess, for lack of a better term. But they almost were yep. like they were so entertaining yep. that they almost like kind of gained a cult following and people started cheering for them. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, when you put it that way, Buffy, he really was the charisma of the group, I suppose. And when he's gone, the kind of the kind mm -hmm. of just they're a tag team that happens to be gay. So it's not really a lot to get invested in, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but they're, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It, 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 and the thing was Mace and uh, Guapo were friends. So you would think that, right. oh, okay. I mean, it, it, they trained together, they rode together. You would think that there would be more of that chemistry, but for whatever reason, it wasn't that they didn't have chemistry. It just, 
it wasn't something that the fans caught on to, I guess, again, because they wanted yeah. Buffy more than Guapo. And, you know, at the same time, though, they still gave a good match. Yeah, here. yeah, and they're facing off against the Carnage crew. So we got DeVito and Loke here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty much kind of a squash, I suppose, even though I guess technically the Carnage mm-hmm. crew, they lose by DQ. Uh, a few seconds into it, DeVito brings in a hubcap, clocks both guys. Uh, Loke, he gets his own hubcap. He smashes the ref with it, and they keep beating up on the Christopher Street here. They're bleeding. And um, I suppose this is sort of a rebound from the last show, Night of the Butcher, where the Carnage crew uh, faced off against Homicide and Abdullah the Butcher uh, and lost that match, I believe. What, what were you, your thoughts, um, or how much do you remember about that Abdullah the Butcher match with the Carnage crew? So one of the most vivid memories that I have of anything that I've witnessed in professional wrestling, right before that match started, uh, Moff and I were in the staircase and we were hyping up Homicide because, you know, yeah. that's our boy and we're just getting ready. And Abdullah was up there and um, Abdullah was talking to us. Oh, you guys are really great. You know, you hype each other out. That's how it's supposed to be. Brotherhood. And then he gets quiet and Moff and I are just watching him. And then his music starts and he had that, you know, Pink Floyd came on and it was a, a long buildup. And out of nowhere. It was like the switch went off in Abdullah. And he screamed out his thing. And he threw the garbage can through the curtain, not knowing if there was anybody <laughs> on the other side. He just threw it and just went into Abby mode. And Moff and I were just amazed at how the switch, because he literally was just, you guys, you know, you're really good together. You look great. You have good presence. And, you know, if you know how Abdullah talks, he talks exactly like right. that, you know? And and then he's like, eh. and then the switch hit, and he just went into Abby mode once you heard the music. Wow! And we kind of got a little scared, honestly. I can imagine because you know he's done a lot of crazy stuff throughout the years, and you could tell like he's at the point in his career where he didn't care. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and um, yeah, I just remember I'm like, yo, if we got to go out there because we knew uh-huh. we had to do something later in that match. Is he gonna attack us? Yeah, <laughs> like it was what Logan Devito did. That's what we did with that duel. You know what I mean, <laughs> it was like, is this? It's gonna be real. Do we have to throw hands? Right. You know what I mean? But uh, Abby was always cool. He's always he's a fan of the Hit Squad, and it's always been cool that he's you know shouts us out. Yeah. Um, he he wrestled a match for MLW against Terry Funk. Uh, we were in Orlando, and after the match. He comes upstairs and he's got his fork in his hand. And at the end of the fork, it's covered in white tape. I guess so he holds it better, you know, when he's doing his thing. And it's covered in his blood and Terry Funk's blood. And he looks at me and he goes, here, son, I want you to have this. I was like, it was like, I don't know if you ever seen the Fresh Prince when Will Smith gives uh, Carlton the Chictionary and he starts blowing. He's like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. right. Yeah, it was like that. And the funniest part was because Homicide is the, I mean, I can't think of anybody else who's a bigger Terry Funk fan than Homicide. But when Homicide saw what Abdullah gave me, because he was right there, he was like, no, no, no. He was screaming. He's like, ah, I hate you. I hate you. Right. And I still have it to this day in my uh, father's house in Staten Island. Um, 
Uh, it's something that I'll always have. I don't I don't care who you are. How many people have a fork <laughs> that has the DNA uh, of Abdul the Butcher and Terry Wong on it? I was you know about to say, I mean? you better Fresh have it. I was about to say, just, you better have that. If not framed, yeah, you better have so, that in your, your silverware drawer. <laughs> oh, but I had to hide it, though, because Homicide would come over and he, where's the fork at? Where's the fork at? <laughs> <laughs> and homicide went and made it his own gimmick, so now he's going to make his own fork. <laughs> yeah, It's all his plan. Well, it was passed on. See, this is the thing. What we were talking about respect. Abdullah passed on the fork yeah. to him. They did a promo for it and everything. And it was it was during that segment or that day or whatever where Homicide and Abdullah did the thing where he passed the fork oh, on to cool. him. And uh, you know, it's always been, Homicide always says, you know, Abby gave me this fork. He passed it on to me. And I'm going to make sure it, it, it gets recognized. Right. No, that, that's badass. No, I, I love that. I didn't know. Because I guess... Yeah. I never really knew there was like a, a formal passing of the torch, so to speak, with that fork. That makes it all mm-hmm. more awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do a lot of things with respect to history. Uh-huh. And uh, it's just that's who we are as a group. You know, um, and when I say as a group, I really mean like me, Homicide, mm-hmm. Key and Moff. Uh, we always show the guys that we grew up watching and respected and adored. We show them the utmost respect when we share a locker room with them. And, um, and in turn, we're able to experience some of the coolest stuff. You know, um, we got to be in the room with Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes Ooh. yelling at each other in the locker room. And you know, I got to be in the middle of a conversation between Ricky Steamboat and Dusty Rhodes where they're talking about their sons, Richie and uh, Cody. And they were still in high school, yeah, yeah. you know, and wrestling each other and stuff like that. And just, I mean, the coolest stuff, you know, we are able to do because we're respectful and they see that they see us as them when they were our age, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always cool when they tell us, Oh man, you would have fit in perfect with us back then. Yeah. You know, uh, especially the guys that we grew up watching. You know? Yeah. No, that's awesome. You're able to experience all that stuff. That's, I can't even imagine what were, mm-hmm. what were Dusty and Terry yelling about. Was it hostile? Um, where's that egg sucking dog? <laughs> Dusty actually, where's that egg sucking dog Virgil at? Virgil, you no good hook, no son of a bitch. And Dusty looked at us because we were in the one locker room and Dusty turns and he's like, he's still talking trash about me all these <laughs> years. When is he ever gonna give it Never. up? And, um, you know, they shook hands and it was kind of like, we we're like, man, we just saw Dusty and Terry shake hands. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but the, uh, I guess the complete opposite of Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes is Amazing Red versus Jody Fleisch, a little international dream match on this show. We've talked a lot about innovation uh, on this card, but I don't think anybody kind of represents that more than Amazing Red. I mean, the dude was incredible. Even in 2002, I mean, it's, it's clear he was like a level above a lot of the guys, um, at the time. I mean, you got to realize when people in the WWE openly talk about Amazing Red and the impact he had yeah. on wrestling, and he's never wrestled for the That's WWE crazy. other than maybe a dark yeah. right? Like, he just, he was so innovative and so creative, and he was always a lot of fun to wrestle. And, like, he would think of things. And actually, it's kind of cool because I remember we were, uh, we had a match in at the ECW Arena. And I wanted him to do something because I'd just seen some Kung Fu movie. I forgot what it was. And there was a guy who was on one knee and the guy who's on the attack 
jumped off his knee and then jumped off his shoulder and it kicked him mm-hmm. in the back of the head. So I was like, Red, you think you can do this? Sure enough, we did it in the <laughs> match. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because Red was just mm-hmm. awesome like that, you know? Um, he was down to try whatever. And, you know, um, he, uh, along with the SAT, all this crazy high-flying stuff, you know, it, it, in all fairness, Luchadors did a lot of the innovating, but the SAT made it famous. SAT mm-hmm. and Red made it famous here in the States, and then they added yeah. their touch to it. You know, so it was like, you know, um, it was just really cool that they get the props, you know, from the people who are now on TV. Uh, I feel like the fans should definitely know more about mm-hmm. Amazing Red. But, you know, Red is, he's always looking at things from his perspective. You know, if he needs to be away, mm-hmm. he needs to be away. You know, no one could tell you, you have to be here. You have, you're the boss. So, you know, if he wants to just run house of glory school then he's just going to run house of glory school which is what he did you know he'll pick and choose because he doesn't need to wrestle all the time you know he's in control of school he's in control of you know a couple of guys that's all he wants he doesn't want all the stuff that comes with wrestling right. all the travel you know um i would when i was helping with jersey all pro wrestling booking every month i would call him when are you going to come work for me he only came to work for me like once or twice <laughs> you know and, uh, uh, but I know that he really just wanted to do things his way. And I mean, he's still doing it, but you know, hopefully again, like Christopher Daniels, like the SAT, when everything is said and done, you know, everybody respects and acknowledges the greatness that he brought to the ring. You know, he's made me shine. He's made mob shine. He, I mean, everybody always talks about the matrix sequence with key mm-hmm. and red, you know, I'm sure that people have tried to duplicate it. I know I have, you know, trying to pop key. I did it one time with um, uh, Pinky Sanchez, you know, and just trying to pop key. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, it it just, but no one could do what they did mm-hmm. and no one could ever touch what, what they brought to the ring. And again, I said it before about backseats way ahead of his time. Yeah. You know, um, he was living in 2022. You know what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying? Like, it was just it was just something else to witness him live. And uh, I'm pretty sure everybody, when they saw that he was wrestling Jody Fleisch, this was going to be the highest of Flyers match. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just, Jody Fleisch was, he was on another level too. Mm. You know, he's someone that definitely needs more respect and more of his name being said by fans because, you know, for the UK scene, he was just, he was amazing red. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was just a little bit skinnier, a little bit taller. Um, but, he did some of the craziest things I ever seen. That springboard, what is seven twenty DDT or whatever yep. it's called? I, I like we tried it the one time. I couldn't get it. You, know you tried I mean? it, but like just seeing him when he hits it, it's like, oh man, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, it just it, it's cool that they got a chance to shine because at this point, final battle is the first real huge show because. You know, we're looking at it. It's the end of the year. We started at the beginning of the year outside of the anniversary show. You know, Final Battle was the first big show where, you know, a lot of things were culminating and starting Mm -hmm. off of this show. And um, the fact that the fans knew that this was going to be a huge show and got a chance to see Red and Fleisch, like people were coming from the UK. I remember, you know, because Moff and I did that thing where we talked to the fans every show. Really? And we talked to the fans. There was fans from the UK just to see that match. 
I believe it. Yeah. So that's the kind of reason those guys had. And that, to me, speaks volumes. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Jody Fleisch is a guy that I'm not as familiar with. Is that maybe because, I guess, in this time period, UK wrestling wasn't as hot as it is maybe today or maybe not as accessible or whatever it is. I guess mm-hmm. maybe did Jody Fleisch just yeah. get hot in a period where people didn't really pay attention to UK wrestling as much? Well, it wasn't, there wasn't as much access. Yeah, you right. know, now you have streaming services that show you instant to the second, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and there wasn't, you got to remember there wasn't YouTube back then. So because that there wasn't YouTube, you didn't have, you know, a chance to see a full match. If you saw anything, you were downloading it from Napster or Kazaa to get, you know, you'd sit there for an hour waiting for a five second mm-hmm. clip, you know, and it was, that was how their fans got to see certain guys. Um, Gabe just happened to work at RF and he had access to those videotapes mm-hmm. so he could pick and choose and see. And he was seeing Fleisch and Storm do their thing. And Doug Williams, he was able to get those guys, you know, and put them to good use. You know, and he was fortunate that he had access to them. But had he not had RF video, I don't know if they would have made it to the States. Right. Honestly, we might not have ever seen Jody Fleisch and Red because, you know, back then there just wasn't we didn't have the. access. Yeah, and that's. We kind of talked about it earlier, but that's what made ROH so great, especially in the early days, because you're bringing these guys from all over the world mm-hmm. into one place, one easily accessible, you know, wrestling promotion that everybody can watch. So it was cool to see people like Jody Fleisch and Doug Williams and the guys from Japan mm-hmm. that they are bring over. It was, it was cool to see those guys get a spotlight that they definitely deserve for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Amazing Red versus Jody Fleisch. Um, it's exactly what you would expect. I mean, we have the, these guys are flying all over the place. Uh, Jody does like a shoot, a springboard shooting star press from inside the ring to the outside. It gets like insane air on it. Um, Jody goes to the top mm-hmm. rope. Amazing red cuts him off and they do. It's almost like it's like a, a double Spanish fly, but they're doing it onto each other. That was crazy. Craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, red hits a, a yeah. reverse styles clash at some point. They're, they're just pulling out all this wacky shit. Like it's, Super innovative, but really entertaining. Um, But I guess a theme of this show is uh, Special K and how they're kind of getting over as a group because they're back once again. And uh, there was a segment earlier in the show where Jody was walking backstage and Special K kind of walks up to him. He's like, hey, come party with us. And Jody's like, "Okay." And then uh, so Special K is out there and uh, Red in the ring is going for his infrared off the top rope. But as he goes for it, Special K, they pull Jody out of the way, save him. And Jody Fleisch is able to hit his 720 springboard DDT. And that gives him the win. So I guess Jody Fleisch is a part of Special K, along with Jay Lethal and tons of other guys. It's crazy, the the characters are in this group. Yeah, like Jody's like <laughs> dancing with them. That's kind of like how they don't handshake. They, they do a little dance and. Uh, yep. you and Moff and Divine Storm, JT Smith, for whatever reason, you guys all come out to try to even the odds, but it's just there's just too many special cares. And uh, the big dude with the suit who has appeared at a few shows before this, the big bad, <laughs> the commentary, like the first time he appeared, he appeared, he was there's like, oh, some black Rastafarian looking dude just got into the ring, is like. 
So that, that's all I've known him as. That's what I always call him now. But apparently his name's Slugger, I guess. The big bad Slugger. He's the black rhino. Um, <laughs> actually, that's another doghouse guy. Yeah. He uh, trained with us for a long time. And he, he uh, yeah, he, he's a little bit older. So uh-huh. uh, he was a little bit. Uh, but he had good. I've seen him have good matches. I've had good matches. With oh, yeah. Slugger, you know, it's, he was this huge six foot five. I know he played football, but I don't remember where he played football. Um, and uh, they wanted to do a teaming of him, Mega, who is also like six mm-hmm. foot six. Uh, he's a ECW, ECWA and a NYWC guy. Uh, and um, do you remember, uh, what was his name? The guy in ECW that used to come out with Spanky, the big black dude. His name was, uh, I think it was, I'm trying oh, to remember what Eze- his WWE Ezekiel Jackson. Yes, yes, Ezekiel Jackson. I couldn't remember his real name's Rick, but right. you know, and we were always cool. He was another doghouse guy. They wanted to team up all three of those studs together. Yeah, That's a lot of meat. <laughs> a lot. There's even if you went back in time to the 1980s when everybody in WWE was six foot six and taller, yeah. like they look small against these guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, I'm not wrestling them. They're gonna make me look like a baby. <laughs> 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 being big is our thing we can't be compared to yeah, these guys like you're gonna take away this the specialness of the hit squad by putting us in with monsters. now now i'm just so, mac but no longer a monster yeah, yeah there is no monster <laughs> there not at all not at all but uh yeah no um slugger was he was good for that role because he was actually a, a security guard in real life i think he still is if i'm not i mistaken. believe it but um he was i mean i worked security for him a couple of times at you know clubs and stuff like yeah. that and you know, the same way he dressed for Special K was how he would dress at work. Oh. You know, and uh, really awesome dude, though. He would give you the shirt off his back. He's really right. cool. And uh, always had fun with him. That's too. awesome. Yeah, so I guess he's here to be the uh, the bodyguard for uh, Special mm-hmm. K, which works so well because you have Special K. is all these shitty little scrawny kids walk, dancing around. And you have this yep. big, huge dude. It's like, what are you going to do about it? So it's like, nothing, I guess. Yep. Um, <laughs> i'll punch myself in the face <laughs> i will i promise um but you guys confront them later in the show i believe but uh so yeah that's uh mm-hmm. so jody gets the win i guess joins special k and uh there's a funny part here so everybody's like divine storm jt smith uh yeah everybody's getting their ass kicked everybody's on the mat and the last guy on his feet is this guy right here and this is the part why I had to keep rewatching it because I couldn't tell if it was you or Moff. Because, like you said, it's like the camera's <laughs> like fifty feet away and it's like kind of grainy. So yep. I was like, "Is that is that Mac mm-hmm. or is that my?" <laughs> but you, you're like the last one. You're like stumbling. It's just like this sea of bodies, and you're just, "I'm not going down." But they yeah. finally get you, and uh, well, you'll get them next time, I guess. Yeah. Um. Well, the, this was all the setup. Like I said before, Gabe was always setting things up, and he used this show to set things up. And he used this to set up the main event for, um, you know, the first year anniversary Mm -hmm. show. Um, And the only thing that I thought was for this match to be the main event, really, the show had to be in Philly. Being that it was in New York and that was the first Ring of Honor show in New York, I felt like the Philly fans would have appreciated seeing Special K get their ass whipped more in a main event. Than the New York fans. The New York fans wanted to see Loki, Daniels, American mm-hmm. Dragon, Joe. They wanted to see those guys. That's who the New York fans wanted yeah. to see. And um, 
while you know there were New York fans who would drive down to Philly, I really thought that Special K was more. It got over with the Philly fans because at the time there was a lot of kids who were just like Special K in yeah. Philly, you know, and they associated with them. And then there was the adults who in Philly hated the kids, you know, and and just wanted to see them get their ass whipped. And I, I feel like that would have been more appropriate there. But you know, hindsight is twenty. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense, especially because it's like a running storyline. So it's almost like you put it, it's almost out of context mm-hmm. moving to New York. Like unless they're getting, mm-hmm. the, I don't know how soon yeah. DVDs, VHSs come out, but a lot of people in the crowd probably didn't even know. Tapes were usually about two okay. weeks. Yeah, it was usually about two weeks after the show. But even still, there was no TV deal. There wasn't a, there wasn't a video streaming, mm-hmm. you know, nothing like that. So everyone had to wait for the DVDs and tapes to come out. And, you know, by the time that final battle happened, the anniversary show, I think it was like three weeks. It was less than a whole month after. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, it, it just, it, like I said, it was just something that really should have been in Philly. But, you know, again, hindsight's yeah. 2020. Um, but after that, we have the ROH title on the line. Got Xavier defending against Paul London. Hell yeah. Kiss your ex goodbye. Um, <laughs> so, Xavier. So he's the champion. He's part of the prophecy, but it's interesting because the prophecy isn't is not out there with him. And I don't think they make any appearance in this mm-hmm. match at the end or anything. Um, and he cuts a promo before the match. He's saying that, you know, nobody I, I see you on the Internet boards. Nobody wants to see Xavier as champion. Uh, you're booing me, but I should be booing you. And it's like. It's actually a pretty decent promo from him. It's a lot better than stuff that he's done before this show. And I'm almost mm-hmm. wondering, like, the fact that it's like a clean match, the fact that he's getting promo time. Is this do you think it's like a reaction to Internet back? Because I, I, I wasn't like on the Internet at the time, so I don't really remember. Was, was Xavier getting mm-hmm. a lot of backlash online for being champion? Do you remember? Well, I mean, the the thing was when Loki won the title, uh, Loki was the people's champ for Ring of Honor. Yeah. I mean, you could make the case for Brian Danielson or Christopher Daniels, but when you have the hardcore base of Ring of Honor fans being from New York and coming down there and, you know, they wanted to see Key win and Key won. I mean, I was in the building when they had that one hour match. It, I'm not even kidding you when I say there's no exaggeration when I say that the building was about 130 mm-hmm. degrees. And then you add the people. There was no air conditioning. The fans were just blowing hot air. There was fans that were just blowing hot air. There was nothing circulating. Everybody was dehydrating, <laughs> dying. And these guys putting on this amazing match for 60 minutes that when you're there and when you watch on the tape, it doesn't feel like 60 minutes. You know, it feels like a quick 20-minute right. match. You know, and Loki comes out on top and he was the guy, you know, he was he was the man of Ring of Honor. You know, all the respect, honor and discipline were all his things. You know, uh, that's what the Loki character was all about. You know, and when Xavier came out of nowhere, because it really was like I think he did one show before he wrestled Key. Well, he was he was on a lot of shows, but he was always like an undercard guy, like kind of like an in between match. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't nothing big. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and like the match with Key was his first Mm -hmm. big match, and he beats Key. Nobody was expecting that. You know, it was totally out of nowhere, 
and it was like the most unexpected thing. Meanwhile, if you were hanging out with them, you could see it coming a mile away because they were boys, you know, um, and that was key doing his thing to, you know, keep himself special, but also elevate somebody new. Because if Key is in the Key, smart enough to know that if he's in the title hunt, it keeps the fans wanting to see more yeah. of him. Whereas if he's the champ, you know, champs, it's hard for them to you stay, stay fresh. The climb. And I'm not saying that Key wouldn't have stayed fresh. I'm just saying, you know, when it comes to the fans in their minds, once the guy wins the title, it's like, all right, well, the race is over and who's the right. next guy? You know, and he was smart enough to realize that by putting Xavier in his role, that it's going to elevate Xavier. It's either, he's either going to sink or swim, but we all had enough confidence in Xavier that he was going to swim. And it was going to keep everybody wanting. I mean, to this day, <laughs> it, when Xavier died, the, the one thing I saw that I thought was like kind of funny was people were saying, oh, well, he really didn't get his match back from Xavier, <laughs> you know? And it was like, it was kind of like a dig on Key because everybody hates Key uh-huh. now. But at the same time, it was kind of like, you know, it was, oh, wow, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, you know, uh, Xavier was smart to know that people weren't expecting to see him as champ. They didn't want to see him as champ. They wanted to see Key or Dragon or Daniels or Joe be uh-huh. the champ. And, you know, it was it was along those lines. And Gabe, you know, there was... Back then, the internet was message boards. It wasn't, you know, Twitter or anything yeah. like that. And it was people giving random thoughts and, you know, it just people trying to pop people. But one thing was solid was they were like, why the hell is Xavier the Ring of Honor champion? Yeah. When you have Joe Daniels, uh, Dragon Key, you know, and but I thought he was a great champ. I thought he brought legitimacy, you know, to the Xavier mm-hmm. character as being champ, you know, and when Joe beat Xavier for the title, I felt like it was it was a good match. But it, I mean, realistically, at that point, it could have been a squash match if people wouldn't ha- would yeah. have been happy. But it wasn't, and it was a good fight. You know what I mean? And from that point on, Xavier always had everybody's respect because you know he knew and we knew he was being put through a test. You know, you gotta you you beat the first champ that everybody loves. What are you going to do with it? And he shined, in my opinion. You know, I mean, it's easy too to shine with Paul London. Yeah, Paul I was about to say, it's hard to have a bad match with Paul. I, I could have <laughs> a good match with Paul London, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Xavier, I mean, if nothing else, he looked like a champion. So I, I could definitely see that appeal of him. Yep. But also, I like the fact that, you know, he mm-hmm. didn't go in and beat low key clean. Like he had the help of the prophecy and he, like, he hit him with like a cinder block or something mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it was something crazy. I forgot what it was, but yeah. Um, but but he always carried himself like a champion no matter what. And that transcended over into, you know, when you watch him on video, you know, you see there's certain guys who, like I said, they play wrestler. And there's certain guys that they are a wrestler. And Xavier was definitely one of those that are a wrestler or is, was a wrestler, yeah, yeah. whatever the, you know, the, the term, correct term is. But yeah, he um, he carried himself with respect and honor and he was fitting of that yeah for sure and when joe beat him like you said like everybody was so pent up and and annoyed because like you said you were surrounded Mm -hmm. by guys like key and danielson and paul london it's like why is he the guy and then joe beats him who's like smo joe was that guy that represented what ring of honor was he represented Mm -hmm. what people 
were looking for in wrestling and then that elevated Joe and then he went on to be champion for like what two years or something. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it was some yeah, crazy so streak. All in all, I think it uh benefit all around, but this uh this match in particular, so Xavier versus Paul London, I think this is by far the best Xavier match that I've seen uh from him thus far. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, Xavier, like I said, there's no prophecy or anything, but Xavier is kind of controlling the match early on. But then at the end, there's like a really fun stretch of moves and false finishes at the end. Uh, Paul London hits this crazy shooting star to the outside. So uh, Xavier is like in the aisle way. Paul London like climbs the ropes, climbs the the, the post and then shooting star presses outward towards him, which is that's please don't die, Paul London. That's to a T. Um, yep. Paul London rolls yep. him back into the ring, goes for a shooting star in the ring, but misses. Uh, Xavier rolls him up into a cradle for a very close two count. I bit on that one. I thought that might have been it. Um, Paul London, mm-hmm. uh, he counters a clothesline, hits some face buster on Xavier for a re- another really close two count. Um, <laughs> There's a fun little spot here. So Xavier, he like retreats to the corner. He's like all defensive. Paul London charges in. Xavier grabs him, pulls him into the corner. Paul London doesn't go face first into the corner, but he like slaps the mat to like make the sound of him hitting to like play possum. Mm-hmm. So he's able to take advantage because Xavier thinks he's mm-hmm. done. He thinks he has him. Uh, but Paul London's able to counter him into uh, the little leg trap DDT that he did that he uh, beat Brian Danielson with at the last show. Um, and that's another two count, but that was, or actually it wasn't a two count, but Xavier's foot was just under the ropes. So that breaks up the pin. The ref actually counts to three. The crowd thinks Paul London is champion and the ref's like, Oh, never mind, never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like yep. all these little yep. moments here are just, I mean, the crowd's biting on, on each and every second. And so am I, um, towards the end, uh, Xavier is able to hit a Cobra clutch suplex, Drops London right on his head, follows it up with the X breaker, neck breaker for the win. So, like I said, really, I mean, perfectly clean win by Xavier. Um, and maybe that's a response to the Internet message boards. Maybe it's just, hey, Xavier, screw all the, the hullabaloo surrounding you and the prophecy. Just go out there, have a good match. And uh, maybe people will, uh, I guess, respect him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all my, my speculation, but. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's totally good. I uh, so. I definitely watched uh-huh. this match um, recently, and uh, you know, part of it is because you know we did lose Xavier, and he was someone that I was really friendly with always, um, and uh, I always liked watching him work. Um, and I could honestly tell you that if we saw nothing else, we only talked about this match alone. What you described, I was getting excited, and you watch back when you know we look back at this. You can see my face lighting up because I was getting excited uh-huh. too, um, because it was it, the whole, the whole second half of that match is just like such great work between uh-huh. the two, and you know you really learn to appreciate the little intricacies and that one corner spot that you talked about with Paul London doing the psych uh-huh. out. I remember like man, that's so innovative yeah. and good. Like you know, and 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 that was one of the matches we were upstairs for. We got a chance to watch. And uh, I remember seeing all that when he hit the shooting star to the outside, a lot of us were scared because if he were to come uh, like, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it where Billy Kidman goes for shooting star and he catches himself on the top rope. Ooh, yeah. If Paul would have caught himself with 
that corner post, he would have died, you know, and uh, or if even if Xavier wasn't there to catch and he falls to the floor, like it was a hardwood basketball floor, he's going to die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so um, when he hit it, the building just went unglued, yeah. you know, and uh, everybody was just going insane. And they love Paul London so much. Um, he's just he's one of those good guys, no matter mm. what. You know what I mean? Like, and and it, it shows in how people love and respect, and they wanted him to win. They really wanted yeah. him to win during this you know time of Ring of Honor, and um, you know Xavier was just on point that night. You know, and uh, I, I the only thing I wish that Xavier did was hit the four fifty because he has such a pretty four fifty. Right. You know, um, for someone his size, it's impressive that he could hit it so clean, you know, and, you know, it, it means something. It's not like when you see someone who weighs 150 mm-hmm. pounds hit a 450. It's cool, but when you see someone who weighs 250 pounds hit a 450 that clean, that's just the most amazing thing you could see in person, you know, and, uh, you know, Xavier, I always enjoyed sharing locker rooms with him, and I always enjoyed listening to his creativity because some sometimes – we would talk if we had a match, you know, like I'm saying, we would talk as if we were going to book ourselves in a match and the things that we would do. And like some of the stuff he was coming up with, he would get excited and I'd be like, damn, that's crazy, but I'm down to do yeah. it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he just, he was one of my favorites in the locker room. He, um, you know, he's a smart, funny guy. And, you know, he always thought about the future and he always thought about his presentation. And like I said, he carried himself like a champ because in his mind, he felt he was a champ, no matter mm-hmm. what. And, you know, a uh, quick funny story to yeah. break up the sadness. Um, he was wrestling Prince Nana. Xavier was wrestling mm. Prince Nana at the Elks Lodge in Queens. I believe it was a Jack Sabbath show. And uh, it just so happened that the Elks Lodge had, because, you know, the stage that they used as the entrance, it was a, a stage, an acting stage. So they had a curtain. But the curtain was so old, it had holes in it. So a lot of the wrestlers would watch the match from behind the curtain from through those holes, and nobody could see. So <laughs> Xavier is wrestling Prince Nana, and when Xavier goes out for his music, Loki and I were standing right by him, but by the curtain, behind, you know, on the side of the curtain. And Loki's like, "Yo, Steve, let's start chanting X as soon as he hits the stage, because he would come out through yeah. the curtain and stop and do his X." So me and Key, he had put one hand through the one hole and I put my hand through the <laughs> other and we we're going, X, X, X. So then Moth sees this and Joe and Moth, they start doing the same thing on the other side. So you got four ha- four sets of X, X, X. <laughs> then as they're wrestling, we I don't know how, but we went from one side of the Elks Lodge to the other. We went all over. We hit like six or seven times where the four of us now if people knew, because I don't, I, I believe this is right when Ring of Honor starting this match happened. Mm. Is and it wasn't like there was a lot of exposure. I mean, the New York fans knew who the New York wrestlers were, and people knew who Joe was, but I don't think people were like, they were, you know, oh, those guys are wrestlers. Like, like how you think of like a Randy Orton? Yeah, now, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Randy Orton's not going to go out to the crowd and watch a match, but meanwhile, I'm sure Randy Orton goes out to the crowd and watches matches all the time. Right. You know what I mean? But like, you know, they weren't expecting to see the silly side, but. As we were doing it, we were running all throughout the building. X, 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 X. And Prince Nana was getting pissed, but the fans were getting so hyped 
they were all about it. And like to this day, I, I mean, I'm the videotape I'm sure is out there somewhere. But like whenever I would see Xavier, I'd always X, 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 X. <laughs> and like that's one of my favorite memories of Xavier. You know what I mean? Like making him laugh in the ring. He was supposed to be the heel too. And Nana was the, the baby face. And Nana was so pissed. He was like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> that's hilarious. Just trying to break him in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to do that. You know what I mean? Because you can get caught up very heavy into this world of professional wrestling and everything that goes with it. And you forget that it's supposed to be yes. fun. You know what I mean? It's not supposed to be serious. It's business. Don't get me wrong. You have to do business and you have to be a good businessman. But, you know, it's supposed to be fun when you're in there. Yeah. You know? And uh, a lot of guys forget that. Yeah, no, for sure. But uh, but speaking of having fun, Special K is here having fun uh, and appears to be in your locker room, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. They're they're in there. They're raving. They're doing drugs. You know, all the stuff Special K does. Uh, you try mm-hmm. to get in there, but Slugga is saying, nope, nope, you're not getting in here. Yep. So uh, <laughs> you so there's this whole deal where Mafia is like, oh, fuck you. I'm getting in there. And you're like, no, cool, cool, cool. It'll be OK. Uh-huh. Again, you're like the cooler head prevailing kind of guy. Um, so you back off, Moff, and then uh, you got to go up to stairwell. And then um, then the main event happens. But after the main event, um, <laughs> like this is how the show ends. It's like you guys coming back mm-hmm. with Chris, with uh, Divine Storm, SAT, JT Smith. You will all like barge into the locker room and lay out Special K. And then I think Slugger kind of you got like face off and then he walks away or something. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> a funny little deal there. But I guess, again, kind of setting up that uh, that that fabulous uh, one year anniversary scramble match. So, yeah, and and that's why I brought up the whole New York locker room because I remembered that this segment happened, and that was the legit the New York locker room. That yeah. little room that they were in partying. That was the New York locker room, and uh, you know it, there weren't too many guys who ventured again because they were afraid that we were going to shank them <laughs> or something. You know, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun to do that, and you know um, it showed like the the that you should be afraid of slugger because if the hit squad's backing up from slugger and it's the two of the hit squad versus one slugger you should fear what slugger can yeah. bring you know what i mean so we're establishing slugger as a force and when we don't attack him when we all could do something we don't do anything and he just stands there facing off with us until he decides to walk away you know um again setting up things for the future you know and um i I loved wrestling with the special K every time we got in there with them. It was always fun because again, it was my boys from Jersey all pro yeah. and you know, it just, it was like, those are, I always looked at those guys as my kids, especially Dixie uh, deranged and Izzy who was blue dragon and mm-hmm. JP. Um, I, they, you know, to this day, I keep in touch with the majority uh, uh, deranged, you know, he goes off the grid. So I don't talk to him as much when I see him, it's always love. You know, um, it, it, but the two Dixie and Dragon, you know, I'm always, we're always making plans to meet up and hang out. And, you know, we share a lot of similar likes outside of wrestling, like video games, music, movies, stuff like that. So we always yearly make a plan to meet up at some point. And, um, you know, like I said, that's, that's my family, you know, growing up in this business, you know, and uh, I'm glad that we got a chance to, work with them and be showcased with them because we know how to make them, you know, I mean, we did things in JP with them where, 
you know, Dixie and Dragon, they're from Bayonne. They they grew up and lived about 10 blocks away from the building where JAP ran. And the show that me and Moff, we were always bullying them. The one show that they're wrestling me and Moff for the titles, their father was there with their sister, who their sister was like four years old yeah. at the time. And when you watch the tape, you know, she's, now she just got married the other day. She graduated <laughs> college. Like, and I'm like, God damn, I'm old. You know what I mean? But, you know, we did a whole thing with them where, you know, we, the little girl slapped Moff and, you know, um, Dixie and Dragon's father stepped up to Moff when he was about to, you know, put the uh, boots to her. And everyone, you know, just, it was one of those mm -hmm. awesome moments, you know, and then the boys came and beat us up while there was the face off with the father. And like, it was just really cool. And then when they won the tag belts, place yeah. went nuts. So we knew if we could do that in a small charity hall, we had the ability to do that in a bigger stage in front of, you know, cameras that were showing the stuff around the world. And uh, like I said, the, I, one of my proudest moments, even though I always wanted to be Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion, but that didn't happen. But I was proud and happy that Special K was able to be Tag mm -hmm. Team Champs because they deserved it. They worked hard. They took a lot of beatings, took a lot of lumps. And the fans were there. You know, you saw eventually the fans loved yeah. them, you know, and Special K was, you know, they, they, just they worked hard they were you know like i i don't want to demean them but like they were like how people love chihuahuas <laughs> small yeah. but they're fierce right. you know what i mean and they the chihuahua owners love their chihuahuas and the fans that's what special k was they loved special k because no matter what they did what storyline they were doing or what characters they presented they were ring of honor mm -hmm. fans you know same size same mentality, same age for the most part. You know, they love them. And uh, it, like I said, you know, I was always proud of my sons that they were able to win the tag titles, hold on to it for a while yeah. and do stuff with it. Because, you know, a lot of other companies, they might not have gotten that spot today. Right. You know, and they got the chance and I'm, I'm glad. No, yeah. And they, they, they fit in perfectly, too, with Ring of Honor, especially at this time. Because the style mm -hmm. that they had fit in perfectly with what fans were hungry for at this point. Because he is... Right yeah. after the Attitude Era and wrestling's kind of in a, in a lull period. So people are kind of looking for something new. And mm -hmm. I feel like Special K had that kind of yeah. innovation that people were hungry for. So, no, yeah. You know what's crazy? There was, a, there was a WWE house show in Philly. I forgot what show it was. I'm trying to remember. Um, where they were in the afternoon and Ring of Honor was at night. They only drew 1,500. Really? In WWE, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was less than fifteen hundred. If I'm not mistaken, it was like fourteen mm -hmm. and change. But they didn't draw much, and everybody was shocked. And the reason why we know that is because all those fans came yeah. to Ring of Honor <laughs> after, you know, and they were yeah. telling us, they're like, "Oh, WWE was so bad; it was almost empty," you know. Wow. And um, then I think later on that week, the numbers came out for what they drew, and what we saw it was like fourteen hundred. We were like, "How?" You know what I mean? And it was it was cool because we drew a third of what they drew on the same day. Yeah, you know, and here we are. All we have is videotape and DVD, and you know, it's guys like Dixie Dragon, Deranged Dragon, American Dragon, mm -hmm. Low Key Joe, Xavier, Hit Squad, Homicide. You know, all the guys that that first year of Ring of Honor. You know, we set the tone. That's what I said about the first match. We set the tone in that first year. Mm -hmm. It might not have been perfect. 
and there might not have been the most memorable stuff at times, but we set the tone for the rest of that company's history. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's something that, you know, you, you have to be proud of, even though, like I said, I'm not too fond of my time because of how things ended, but I'm not, I'm a realist, you know, we changed the entire North American scene. You know, we brought strong style. We brought Lucha Libre. We brought Puerto Rico. We brought, you know, Memphis. All of that was from us. Mm -hmm. All those guys in that first year, we were the ones who were bringing it and exposing it to the fans, the more hardcore Philly fans who were yearning for ECW because ECW was gone, you know, and they were yearning for WCW because WCW was gone, you know, and all they had was WWE and, you know, it just wasn't the same, you know, like WWE is always the place that everybody wants to be. But at that point it wasn't the same. They lost the rock. They lost Austin. Triple H was the guy, but he was kind of being force feed. John Cena hadn't blown up yet. You know, there was still a lot of things that were yet to come or, you know, had passed. And that was our little chance. We were ring of honor was at the perfect spot to shine. Yeah. You know, and uh, like I said, we set the tone with the stuff that we did. You know, we were able to, bring something new and exciting and i'm always gonna be proud of that yeah for sure yeah that's a good point how ring of honor kind of exploded kind of in that transition period for wwe i guess and then they would continue Mm -hmm. to grow ring of honor would continue to grow into the late 2000s and then eventually wwe i mean you look at their roster now which is full of ring of honor guys so i think it's a testament to the company and that all that was set like like you said you set the tone in 2002, you and Moff mm-hmm. and all those guys. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we're here at the main event now. So it's for the number one contendership trophy. It's a four-way match. So it was scheduled to be Brian Danielson versus Homicide versus Loki versus Samoa Joe. So Homicide, well, I guess, so before the match starts, Steve Carino comes out once again, once again with a mic. He has a chair. He sets mm-hmm. the chair up in the middle of the ring. He says, you can't have a main event without Steve Carino. He's basically challenging some, anybody to come and get him out of the ring. Homicide's back out because remember their little interaction earlier in the show. He mm-hmm. comes back because remember Homicide ran him off with a fork earlier. So Homicide comes out. He gets in the ring. But Steve Carino has his own fork on him now catches homicide off guard and hits him right in the face with this fork. Uh, gives him a Northern lights bomb and a few pile drivers. Um, and then, you know, people are checking on him. The doctor, uh, Rob Feinstein's out there. They're checking on homicide. He's deemed unable to compete. And they're just like, ah, fuck it. Steve Carino, you just take his spot. So Steve Carino takes homicide. <laughs> homicide. <laughs> oh, I guess that's how <laughs> business works, right? If, if somebody has your yeah. spot, Attack him with a fork, give him a few pile drivers, and then you got your job. A little life lessons here. but You wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) I remember watching it live. Uh, So when I watched it on video, there were certain things that I remember differently watching live. Yeah. But um, so like a lot of the times I, in my older age, (laughs) um, I preface that, it's harder to describe certain things only because you don't want to do it injustice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I do remember though, from being there, uh, homicide was a little upset because he really 
I mean, not for nothing, Homicide trained all of us. When I say all of us, me, Key, Moff, he trained a lot of guys, really? you know, Ortiz, Santana, AEW, you know, um, he did a lot of things and changed. That's why a lot of people call him the, the godfather of New York, you know, um, because if you look at a lot of wrestlers, he has his fingerprints mm-hmm. on it, you know, and he, to this day, feels like nobody respects his wrestling ability because they only see him as a new Jack clone. Right. And that's a chip he's always carried on his shoulder. And he really, really wanted to showcase his wrestling in this four way because, you know, of of Mm -hmm. who's in it, you know, and he knew that he was doing this thing with Carino, but he wanted to do a little bit, you know, and they wanted to do it quick to get Carino into the match. And he understood, but I remember talking to him and he was like, man, they just, you know, they want me to do this, but I want to wrestle, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was kind of a little miffed, but you know, it is what it is. You got to do. I could see that. And uh, eventually he gets his chance, you know, later on. But, you know, he really was like, I want to wrestle. And, you know, it just I just that's the one thing that I remember more than anything else about this match. Um, And and especially being in there with his top student, Key, you know, uh, him and Key, me and Key are first cousins. We raised like brothers. You know, we lived not too far from each other. So we always around each other. We went to the same school up to high school. And, you know, we were always around each other. Now we meet Homicide, and Homicide and Key developed that tight friendship to this day, you know, and it was like, they were just, they were always together, like, the way me and Key were, you know what I mean? And he really wanted to showcase with Key because, you know, he loved working with Key. And same thing with Joe and Dragon. He loved working with those Mm -hmm. two guys, you know, and, um... And Joe and Dragon love wrestling with Homicide mm-hmm. as well, and Key did too. So, you know, they I'm sure that they all wanted to, you know, be in that match together. And and while they love Carino, it was just like, all right, we're going to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And, and I'm sure the guys knew about it beforehand, but still, you know, when you're like, oh, man, this would be so cool mm-hmm. if the four of us could do something. I, to be honest, I don't know if the four of them ever got in the ring again after that. Together. I'm not sure. You know, like, you, know, you had Joe and key and homicide with the match mm-hmm. of Kobashi and you know they wrestled singles but I don't think the four of them did anything together you know and I, I'm sure that's something that yeah. they wanted to yeah, do. Yeah I, I could definitely see it being disappointing in the moment but like you said it kind of sets up uh, Homicide mm-hmm. and Carino which is one of the more memorable ROH feuds of all time so in hindsight it was mm-hmm. maybe probably a better than him just being included in this match so um, but yeah mm-hmm. the match itself mm-hmm. it's so it actually goes 45 minutes to a time limit draw. So a uh, super long match and it ends in a draw. It was very, you know, it was entertaining throughout. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. just like, maybe it's because I've watched a lot of old school Ring of Honor recently. Maybe I'm like desensitized to it a little bit, but it felt like the first like 30 minutes of this match was kind of, it had a, had a slower pace to it. You know, nothing was really like, gripping me into it. Mm-hmm. it they were doing impressive moves in there you know it, it was uh i don't know what you call it, when people have to tag in because it wasn't like all guys it wasn't tornado style um so it's essentially a series mm-hmm. of singles matches between all these guys and then i think it's like the, the five yeah. minutes left warning and that's kind of when the match breaks down everybody's getting in the ring hitting their finishers uh key hits joe with an, a key crusher which is incredible considering the size difference between those two 
You have Danielson mm-hmm. hitting all these beautiful, crazy suplex pin combinations on everybody. Uh, Joe's like trying to rip everybody's head off with STFs. Like there's a lot of good stuff. It really kicks in at the end. Um, but like I said, mm-hmm. ultimately it's a draw. Um, so no number one contender, I guess. And uh, but yeah, other than mm-hmm. that, anything kind of catch your eye from what you saw of this or what you remember? Uh, watching it, you could tell that Carino was yeah. in charge. Um, and the reason why I say that is because of the slow pace in the beginning. Um, Carino was very methodical. I mean, when he knew he had to get his ass right. whipped, he was all for it. But if he could hold off until later on, he would. And that's what happened in this match, you know. Um, but these guys also knew that going into it, if it's going to be a 45 minute draw, you don't want to get these this crowd so hot that when they think about the match, they're going to be like, oh, a 40 minute draw, 45 yeah. minute draw. You know, and that happens, especially it's the last match of the night. It's a long night. There's been a lot of things that have happened. Um, and, you know, you kind of just are like, all right, how can I keep this exciting? Mm-hmm. You know, um, because it's the last show of the year. It's been a great first year. You know, everything that we've done has been supercharged from the first show yeah. with Eddie Guerrero and, you know, all the stuff during the summertime, all the tag matches, scramble matches uh key winning xavier winning you know joe and key aj and key danielson and dragon you know the prophecy you know everything that was going on it was hot and you know you kind of you want to save something for the anniversary show because you know you're going to do something there but you know you want to give these fans something and i felt like it it was like how could i say like they were holding off but they held off right. too much. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And it's, I mean, listen, I'm not going to sit there and tell any of those four guys how to wrestle because they are levels and leagues above mm-hmm. me. But, you know, like it felt like that when you're watching it, it felt exactly how you said, you know, the first 30 minutes was just slow paced, nothing really too memorable. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you compare the 60 minute match for the title, that match had everything going through it. I think there was only like two dead spots throughout yeah. the entire match, you know. And this one, it felt like there's more slow pace. Like I'm not gonna kill myself until the last, you know, five minutes. And like that's for me for that crowd at that time. Like I get what those guys are doing, but you know, for that crowd at that time, they wanted yeah. to see, you know, 45 minutes of nonstop action and. You know, in all honesty, again, you know, those guys are smart. They're not going to kill their bodies. You know, they're not going to risk, especially a lot of them started to do more Japanese Mm -hmm. tours. Um, You know, a lot of them started to uh, go to Zero One New Japan and Mexico and, you know, wherever else they're going to UK. And at that point, you really, you didn't want to press your luck. You know, and 45 minutes is a long time, no matter what, you know, and you know, it's very easy to, you know, let's say you pull a muscle in the 10th minute. Now you got to wrestle 30 yeah. minutes, you know, and you got to keep with that. And I'm sure those guys had that in the back of their mind, you know, um, especially, you know, uh, having talked to Key, uh, I know that a lot of the injuries that came later on, you know, 
it was a buildup of other injuries on top of other injuries, mm-hmm. you know, and him trying to do something different to avoid getting something else happening to whatever he hurt originally, you know. Um, and I'm sure with the other three, it was the same yeah. way, you know. So they're thinking about their health, and that, and that's fine. Like I said, I'm not going to be anybody to tell any of those guys how to wrestle, you know. Those guys made millions. I've made thousands <laughs> you know what i'm saying so what do i know but you know um it, it just it, but even still that last 15 minutes though like that was good the that whole was crowd was just yeah. on their feet and they were feeling and they really thought in the last minute that there was gonna be a clear winner yeah. and they were like oh, oh 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 and you could feel that but you know then bell rings and they were oh yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean collective groan yeah. and then all right clap clap, clap yeah you know um but again also too it's the art of selling you know you have a product that you have to sell mm-hmm. you can't give them everything and this goes back to the wrestlers and the promoters and the bookers are the ones that tell the fans what they're going to get it's not the other way around you can't give the crowd when you have to promote the next town the next show the next month whatever it is you have to promote it. You can't give them everything because you need them to come right. back. So by giving them this match, you leave them wanting mm-hmm. more. And they're going to buy the next DVD. They're going to go buy the tickets for the next show. I mean, there was fans that were hooked, but you want them to be like, yo, I saw this match where, you know, there, it, it, I don't, I, you got to come with me next mm-hmm. time. And they're telling their friends that. And that's what happened, you know, especially back then. Like I said, there was no social media, no YouTube. It was all word of mouth. You had your message board, but you know, if you're the casual fan, nobody knows what a message board right. is. You know, nobody's looking. They just, you know, hey, whatever. My friend has this tape of these guys. It looks pretty awesome. It's in Philly. Philly's only 45 minutes away. Let's go. You know what I mean? So, like, that's how that was happening. It was very um, organic, you know, because again, the internet wasn't. I mean, the internet was a thing back then, but it wasn't like right. it was today. You know. And that was how Ring of Honor was able to grow because Gabe was smart. He knew, I can't give them this, but I could leave them wanting more by doing this. And, you know, that's exactly what this match was for. Mm -hmm. This match was supposed to be, all right, well, so now from this, what's going to be the main event of the first anniversary show? What's going to be the focus of the company for the next six Mm -hmm. months to a year? Now that we've got the first year done, you know, and he was always thinking about stuff like that and looking at, you know, how to do things that way and get people interested and talking because again, it's a business. You have to make sure that they keep coming yeah. back. So you, it's not something that a lot of people want, but it's something that is. Yeah. Necessary. No, that's very clear too. Cause kind of touched on it before a lot of this show is almost seems like transitions into is it's there to transition or to build to a future match. We saw it with the uh, special K mm-hmm. and how that's building to that big scramble match. Um, the next show I believe is dragon versus Joe in a singles. So this match kind of builds towards that. And you obviously have homicide and Carino. And I think even Xavier and Paul London have a rematch at the next show. So it's almost like final battle here. It's almost, it's not really a destination. Mm-hmm. It's more of like a, a liftoff or it's like where, you know, it's kickstarted in, mm-hmm. into the next year. So, and yep. in that sense, definitely makes sense yeah. to me. Um, and then, well, I mean, but then you also have, if you look at the one year anniversary show, Homicide Carino, 
that's when the whole riot happened. And that to me was like the first viral ring of honor yeah. thing that they ever did because everybody to this day still talks about the one year anniversary, the riot. They they call it the riot. They don't even call it homicide yeah, yeah. riot or fan. They call it the riot. And everybody knows instantly if you're a ring of honor fan, that's what you're talking about, you know? And then you have the barbed wire match with homicide Carino where you know, Homicide smacked the hearing out of Carino, and then Homicide was taking all these crazy bumps into the barbed wire. Carino was too, and you know, it just escalated from that point on with everything else that they did. And then, you know, you have the constant. It's funny because I always call, I always compare Drag American Dragon and Loki to Ryu and Ken from Street Fighter. <laughs> you know, um, it's a very if you look at the two of them, I can very see similar parallels. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, and. It, it it always there was always that rivalry and then you have the rivalry between joe and the two of those guys you know joe i mean you see even to this day joe doesn't even wrestle that much anymore and he's still one of the most feared men and when he came over the the east coast the first time it was like oh man this dude is big he's samoan and he's beating the crap out of our favorites mm-hmm. you know what i mean and you know it, it just you could see that joe this was also a platform for Joe to start stepping up into the main event scene. You know, I mean, he already was an established guy in ring of honor, but like, this is solidifying him. This is going to be our guy. You know, this is the first step. This is going to be our guy. And you could tell by how they had him do certain things and how he performed in certain ways. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of foreshadowing on this show because you knew, all right, we got the one year anniversary. And now again, it's also the end of the year. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And if you're into looking deeper into things, like you could see Gabe is starting to position guys to be the next whatever it is that he wants them to be. You know, he's got his use of his first year guys to get the company noticed. Now that the company's noticed, now he's going to put his chess pieces in place to move mm-hmm. around. Yeah, like Punk, Cabana. Up until this point, it was setting yep. everything up. Yeah, it was setting everything up. <clears throat> he had his pawns, his rooks, his you know knights, king and his queen. Now he's starting to move them and set them into place for his strategy. You know, and this show was definitely you know an indicator of where he was going to go with things yeah. in the future. And it's interesting, Joe. I mean, he definitely is solidified at this point. He's super over, but this is only like his third or mm-hmm. fourth show. It's, it's it's amazing how quick he got. Oh, I think his match with Loki. I don't know if that was his first match or I think it might have been. That was his first match. That That was first right out the gate. I mean, everybody's Joe, Joe, and it's obviously exploded from there. So, um, but yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. This match kind of sets up Joe. Obviously, be the one to take the title off Xavier. So, I think it was effective in that Mm -hmm. sense. But uh, yeah, Yeah. so that's uh, that brings the show to a close, man. Uh, Final battle, two thousand two. Any other final thoughts on uh, this show or Ring of Honor in general? Um. I'll be 1000% honest in that I thought there were points where Ring of Honor was going to die. Uh, and only because, you know, it wasn't for anything bad. It was because, you know, their talent was being plucked every show. You know, they were relying heavily on Steen and Generico, and then those guys were yeah. gone. And, you know, a whole bunch of kings of uh, wrestling. And, you know, I, I, I'm honestly surprised that the Briscoes weren't taken and uh, to be hear them be told that they're not cosmetically pleasing 
Meanwhile, when they come out, I mean, the fans go nuts for the Briscoes to this day. Yeah. You know, I mean, they did a surprise appearance at GCW. They hadn't used uh, Leonard Skinner in years. Mm. And the second that song hit, people were like, oh, what? They were hyped yeah. up. You know what I mean? And to hear, oh, they're not cosmetically pleasing, so we can't use them. <laughs> Just happened to be one of the best teams you know of all I mean? time. But it's whatever, but, you know. Of course, of course. Can you imagine the Briscoes versus the Dudleys oh, in the TLC come match? Come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, and that could have happened, but WWE didn't want to take the chance. But regardless, it's better off for the Ring of Honor fans and the company in whole because if you look at Mark and Jay today, they're the face of the company. Yeah. Even though they may not be on every show, but they're the face of the company. No, nobody knows. There could be certain points where nobody knows who's the Ring of Honor champion. You're like, oh, isn't Jay Lethal still a champ? Meanwhile, he hasn't held the belt right, in a few months. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But you always know that the Briscoes are there, and they're always the yeah. top guys. You know what I mean? And that just, uh, you know, stuff like that makes me happy. Um, I want the company to succeed. I want the company to go on past, you know, my time on this earth because it's something that I helped create, you know, and I have a lot of friends that work there still to this day and you know it's it's not the same company mm. it's way different obviously different owners different vision different everything but the fact that no matter what i'll always have my hand in the beginning of the company yeah. it's cool that company started because of what me and my friends were doing at the time you know if if we're not wrestling the way that we wrestled that company probably doesn't run you know it, it was a, a perfect culmination of things that mm -hmm. happened, you know, ECW, WCW closing, WWE dying, you know, the indie starting to pick up steam, videotapes being more accessible, you know. Um, but I think that, you know, no matter what, the fact that we were able to have that moment where, you know, our friends, our boys, and then we made some new friends like AJ and, you know, Joe and American right. Dragon and Christopher Daniels and the Briscoes, you know, and like all of my friends are still the top guys, you know, for me, that's yeah. cool as hell, you know? So I'm, I'm glad that it's with ring of honor that some of the guys are still getting burned. And I hope that they stay getting burned for the next 20 years with that company, you know? Um, and then you have to look at the influence that ring of honor has had. Can you even say that there's an AEW if there's no Ring oh, of yeah. Honor? No. Because how many of those guys on that first year roster were all Ring of Honor guys? Right. You know what I yeah. mean? And, you know, Tony Khan is doing the same thing that Gabe did. He had his first year players establish the company. Mm -hmm. Now he's starting to get the best chess pieces and put them in place. And you're going to see AEW blow up. It's the same exact strategy mm -hmm. that Gabe had, you know, um, and, and, and it shouldn't come as a surprise because Tony Khan followed ECW. He followed Ring of Honor. He followed all of those wrestling companies. Like yeah. That. And he learned from their mistakes. And if you notice, he's going head to head with WWE and not even caring, not because he's a billionaire, but because he has the confidence from what he learned from all the right. years watching wrestling that he can take on the big dog, you know. And it, it's going to make interesting television for the next year. But again, all of it happens because of Ring of Honor. Yeah. If Ring of Honor doesn't happen, 
who knows what's going on or what isn't the, wasn't all in wasn't um, all in a ring of honor show technically or wasn't it like do you remember how that I know that they use like the ring yeah. crew. They use a lot. They're of a big the, part of it, know, at least the stuff from Ring Yeah, they were a huge part of it, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, it just goes to show, though, you could have WWE versus AEW. You could have Ring of Honor versus New Japan. You could have whatever you want versus whatever you want. Deep down, this is a brotherhood when it comes to professional wrestling. I'm not talking about the sports entertainers because the sports entertainers, people who call themselves that, they're in it for the fame and right. the money. They're not in it for the love. They're not the guys who watched as a five-year-old with their grandfather. Those are the people who saw tough enough and they're like, ah, I could do that. I'm going to be right. a star, you know? And, 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 and again, there's nothing wrong with that because how many people getting that get into acting? I mean, look at the rock the rock got into acting and became the biggest superstar mm-hmm. in the world. Not everybody's going to be the rock, obviously, but you know, there's a chance for that to happen. And the same thing goes for people getting into wrestling yeah. now. And my problem is, is that there's a lot of people who get into it for that reason and do not apply the craft the way it should be. Yeah. And they don't learn it. They don't want to learn it. They just want to be famous and rich. They don't want to take the time. They don't want to pay the dues. And it comes with this generation of people, too. There's a lot of entitlement. And that's, to me, what's killing wrestling. I mean, wrestling's doing good. Don't get me wrong, you know. But for the guys like me, wrestling today, it's not the stuff that we want to see. We want to see the good fights. We want to see the Terry Funks and the Dusty Rhodes go to war. We want to see the one-year buildup of a storyline with a culmination of a match at WrestleMania or a match at All Out or whatever it is. But we want to see that buildup, you know? And I have a feeling with Dragon and Punk in AEW, there's going to be more storylines going that way. But, you know, while there are some, it's to me, it's not done properly because there's not a lot of guys who know the craft yeah. that way. I say I think AEW probably has that mentality more than WWE as far as long term. And oh, yeah. that goes, you yeah. know, back to what you're yeah. saying about Punk and Brian being there. They were there in Ring of Honor when you guys had that mentality so they can obviously mm-hmm. uh, give that information to others. Tony Khan, like you said, big yep. fan of Ring of Honor as well. So. I have faith that they have that mentality as well. Hopefully we'll see uh, stuff like we did in the early days of Ring of Honor. Yeah. I mean, look, they went to head to head for a half an hour and everybody yeah. lost <laughs> You know, that's all they've been talking oh, about is God. the ratings. Oh, like I've never heard key demo more than I have. <laughs> well, what was the hit squad <laughs> worried about the key demos when you guys were bashing Christopher Street Connection? <laughs> I, I, I never even heard. Of that <laughs> that's not what you guys were fighting for. <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I was lucky. I knew where hard time was. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, you know, it, it's it's become that. And and there's nothing wrong with that because people are getting paid. Right. People are making money and feeding their families. And that's perfectly fine. Like I said, but when it comes to pro wrestling, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of times I know everybody hates Jim Cornette. A lot of what Jim Cornette says is the truth mm-hmm. about what he knows of professional wrestling. I'm not saying it's the truth about professional wrestling saying it's the truth about what he knows of professional wrestling, what he mm-hmm. grew up in. You know, much like how I said 20 years ago was a different time, for Jim Cornette, 40 years ago was a way right. different time. And back then you had, you know, guys who were, I mean, there's always some sort of criminal element everywhere, no matter what, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, wrestling. 
Back then, though, you had legit criminals who smoked cigarettes and they carried guns and drank beer and had no problem with that. You know what I mean? But at the same time, they also were taught wrestling the right way. So they knew how to draw. They knew how to advertise and sell and promote. Whereas now, I feel like the kids, they have this platform with Twitter and Instagram and all types of social media. They use it, but they don't use it to their fullest potential. Right. Can you imagine a Dusty Rhodes <laughs> on Twitter or yeah. Instagram? You know what I mean? Like Dusty Rhodes in his prime would have taken over the world. He would have been voted president right. of the world, you know, if he had Twitter or Instagram back then. But a lot of these kids, oh, how many followers can I get? Can I get 60,000? Like why go for 60,000? If you know you have the skill, go for right. 6 million. You know what I mean? What do what do the Kardashians do that's so special? They just they promote. They mm-hmm. work hard because it, it's not easy to do what they do. But when people are like, "Oh, you don't do anything," well, how can you really get the following that you're getting right, exactly. doing nothing? They're obviously doing something, you know, and that's because they constantly promote themselves. They're always looking to invest in other things that when people see it, oh man, that's pretty cool. You know, they could hate them all they want, but Kardashians are the most followed people right. in the world. I'm probably sure in the history of the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's a reason for it. And I think wrestlers, if they learn to work for that rather than, oh, look at this cool stuff I did, I think then wrestling would be on yeah. a bigger platform. Instead of fighting for half a million viewers, they'd be fighting for 10 right. million viewers. You know? Um, they just got to learn to use their tools more and, uh, you know, make their craft shine. Because a lot of them don't understand that. They yeah. weren't taught that. And it's just something that, you know, it's going to be cool, but there's probably going to be a cool off period soon right. again, too. You know what I mean? And I think people are going to get bored of seeing certain things and not seeing other things. And then when they don't get those things, you're going to be like, ah, <laughs> what's on? what else? So, is uh, so I guess the headline for this episode is Monster Max says wrestling should be more like the Kardashians. That, that, that'll be the clickbait title. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh man! I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking like a Kardashian, a... I guess, right? Unless you're looking like a <laughs> Kardashian. <laughs> oh man! Well, yeah, that's all I got, man. Thank you once again for making the time to uh, check out the show. Um, come on, talk about it. It's uh, so interesting to hear firsthand experience from uh, somebody who's there in the early days of Ring of Honor and experienced all this live and in action. So. Uh, yeah, once again, thank you for making the time. Uh, where, where can everybody find you? Uh, social media, where you're wrestling, all that stuff. So uh, I'm wrestling for Titan Championship Wrestling in New Jersey. I am the uh, inaugural heavyweight champion for the company. For me, that's kind of cool because, I, like I said, I never see myself as anything special. And the fact that this company invested in me for a year right. and a half, you know, or a year and change, whatever it is, you know, uh, and made me the face of the company is kind of cool. Um, but if you want to find me on social media, I'm only on Twitter. I have my private yeah. Facebook page and Instagram page for friends and family. But my uh, Twitter is Steve Mac DHS. Uh, I'm always carrying the Hit Squad name. That's Love something it. that, no matter what, even if I hated Moff, and I don't, even if I hated him though, I'd always be the Hit Squad because that's what brought me to the table, and that's something that before wrestling I was a part of. Uh, and um, you know, I. The hit squad is always going to be Steve right. Mack, you know, and um, I'm just glad that there's some sort of 
legacy that people you know still watch and they still cheer and um it makes me feel like i did something worthwhile and you know um like i said it's pretty cool that there's companies like ring of honor that i'm a part of and jersey all pro and titan and you know all the other companies that we wrestle for beyond and everything and yeah i have a part of it and it's kind of cool so like you know uh if you hit me up on twitter uh i usually answer i mean how quick did I answer you on Twitter? I think it was pretty quick, yeah. It was pretty quick, though. I, think uh, I did not expect that at all. I was like, oh, right shit, there, the monster's yeah. talking uh, to me. <laughs> I better, better tell the difference between him and Mafia real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, when we both wore elbow pads, that's why I stopped wearing yes, elbow thank pads. Because when we were both wear elbow pads, you couldn't yeah. tell. You know what I mean? It was like, who the right. hell? When you get up <laughs> close, you can definitely tell. But when it's like the ROH camera in 2002, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, okay, yeah. there's two big dudes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Like I said, when Moff didn't have any tattoos, you know, it was really hard to tell us apart. But, you know, now that he's got all the ink and stuff, it's real easy. But, uh, and he's also, he lives in a tanning booth. Uh, so. okay. <laughs> Whereas me, I get the farmer's It's tan, all natural. You know I, mean? I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, natural. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. I'll let you enjoy the rest of your night. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll bring you back on for the one year anniversary show. <laughs> you could take all us through done. all that insanity all that done. went into it. Uh, yeah. That that was that was rough, but yeah, I'm all for it. Anytime you want to have me, I'm gladly be on. Once again, thank you to Steve Monster Mac, one half of the Hit Squad, for joining me on this show. Awesome, awesome time with Steve. Really, really cool to get some firsthand knowledge and some firsthand uh, perspective on the experience of uh, the early days of Ring of Honor and so much more. So. Awesome, awesome listen. If you've made it this far, I applaud you. <laughs> I know that was pretty long, but I think it was absolutely worth it. Really good time with Mac. Follow him on Twitter, at SteveMacDHS on uh, on Twitter. I think I already said that. Uh, follow Titan Wrestling as well. All that, all that info I'll put in the description. And uh, follow me as well, ApronBump.com. You can find all my full episodes. Uh, all my social media is there as well as in the description. Follow me on YouTube as well. Uh, give me a little subscribe there. I'm, I'm going to start putting out more content on YouTube here uh, here in the next coming year. I think that's going to be kind of my hub for uh, like current product type stuff. But uh, playing around with that, but we'll see. But yeah, definitely more stuff to come. Check out the uh, the video that I posted last week. 100 things that WWE could do to improve itself. Really good video there, I thought. But, you know, I did it. So, of course, I think that. And, uh, yeah, get get your ass out of here. You've been here for three hours. Go go eat something. Go, go. Uh, I don't know. What do you do? What are your hobbies? <laughs> I don't know why we're on a date all of a sudden. But, uh, yeah, that's all Daddy has for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Smooches all around. Pickle tickles all around. I'm hard.